the bridge, past the mills, past the stacks. On a gathering storm comes a tall, handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand. The Scream 2. Paul, did you watch last night? Yes, I did. When did you watch, Jeff? Last night as well. Oh. Okay. So, I watched like a, like a week and a half ago because I knew I was leaving on a trip and... But I still I watched it earlier this morning as well, just so I'd be. You watched it fresh. again. I well, I I think I fell asleep the first time, so I watched the entire thing <laughs> this time. Just a, a fantastic recommendation of the movie. <laughs> yeah, really. At the top of the show. <laughs> well, I've seen it a million times, which is why I fell asleep. Oh, that is fair. I would have told you I'd seen this at least you know a half million times, like half as much as I'd seen the first screen, but I. I've seen the first screen so many more times, judged by how like unfamiliar I was with things going on in this one. This one just has like a built-in forget. Like I like I've mm. seen all the screams a million times, and I remember all the screams really well, except for this one. Have we started? Yes. Oh. Well, uh, you can introduce, and then we'll we'll pick up right there. No, that's fine. I'm I'm good with just jumping right in. Okay. But this is I mean, neighbors' trash. We already did. Yeah. You did this when I was gone, when it wasn't no. recorded. <laughs> Why would I suddenly do that while you were gone? No, I, I just know. made it was a continuation from the first one. So. Oh, so we're not really stopping. Well, I mean, it's uh, a series. You can't listen to this one without hearing the first one. I need to listen to seven more. <laughs> Before I can. Well, yeah. Neighbors Trash, Paul, Kelly, Joe, and uh, we're back again. I was going to say at the top that I don't like it when podcasts always wait to introduce the guests. I don't understand it. And I know it's weird to me that they all do it. They yeah, I don't like, know. Oh. That's about I, I it's funny when like the guest is already talking and then they're still like waiting. And then like later they're like, we'll introduce the guest. But yeah, it sucks that they have to sit there silently for so long. In the but who made that rule and why does every podcast seem like they have to follow it, you know? That's what I want to know. I don't know. All right. Well, that's all I needed to know. So here we are. Neighbor's Trash. Scream episode two. Scream two. Talking about Scream. Two. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> scream so, Even though we just said it was like the least memorable Scream for whatever reason. It's like it's not a bad Scream. Like that doesn't mean it's bad. But mm -hmm. I think this is the most memorable intro into a scream. Like this is like the, I think this is the most exciting one. This is the only one that really does anything different. Like I feel like pretty much all the rest of them take place in like a residence. This is the only one that like brings a bunch of like public into it, which okay. I think makes it. Di and I think also the scary movie parody of this is like stuck in everyone's head as well. And I think that's why yeah. it sticks out. But I think it's the most memorable opening sequence. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think so. I mean, Jada, so yeah, the movie starts off with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, Omar Epps going out to a movie. They're going to see Stab. And uh, big surprise, they both get stabbed mm. at the movie theater. But no, it, it's really well done. Omar Epps like getting uh, killed in the, in the men's bathroom and then 
the killer shows up in his jacket with the the ghost face mask on so she doesn't recognize it. and then the killer just stabs her to death in the theater as casey becker is getting stabbed yeah. uh on the stab um, remake of the first movie anyway all very meta but like again at that point in time that that was not a totally normal thing to do that was kind of one of the earliest examples of like meta commentary uh so it was just really well done and we learn later that these two characters are are college students but i think of all the college students in this movie i think these two are the least i don't believe that they are college students like if i saw those two people on a date i feel like those people are in their mid-30s I guess I thought they were supposed to be a little bit older. They seemed a no, little they, like annoyed yes. by everything going on. But they were in the same classes as the other students. They were seniors at that college. That's uh, what they said. Yeah. Is this okay. college in Ohio? Is it supposed to be Ohio? That's what Wikipedia tells me, yes. That's funny. I guess I assumed it was still California somewhere. I guess I did too, because they're all going to be actors, or they're at least yeah. the people we're following are all like in film school. Not that they don't have that in Ohio, but it's a strange choice to be like, well, they're from California. That's interesting. To Ohio to then have them still be interested in, in acting. I have a lot to say about that later then, because I just assume this is another college in California. So I was like, I guess it's not that, that weird that they have just a building for school of film which you would never see anywhere normally <laughs> like all my film classes were just like in the basement of like the journalism building sure um but i thought it made sense i was like out there in california that makes sense like that's where people would decide to have a like just a building called school of film yeah that's a strange choice they didn't even try to make that look like ohio no, they didn't really do much to make it not look like the first movie. Like all the sets <laughs> look exactly the same. I think it was filmed in in Canada and in LA. So, oh no, Atlanta. They could have at and least LA. put like a smog filter on or something. Yeah, because <laughs> of all the smog. I think Kelly made a really good point earlier, which is that um, I think this is what she was saying anyway, which is that so much more of this movie takes place in public than the first movie. And uh, I feel like that's a pretty good differentiator between the two. Instead of like these mm -hmm. isolated, alone in the house or alone in the school yeah. Uh, yeah. confrontations, like characters are getting got in broad daylight. Yeah, and it was very bold. Like, I feel like the, the killers in this had to like know exactly the, the like what was going to come of a bunch of these situations when there was no way of like predicting it with a lot of it, like. There's no way of knowing when that guy's going to go to the restroom and when she's going to be back in her seat. Like, there's a lot of chance that they just let happen in this movie, that they're just lucky panned out. It wasn't yeah, exactly. like the first one where you can just see how they planned. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, those those happenstances wouldn't be quite so uh, beggaring of belief, except that you find out that later on that Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett, they were picked on purpose because they exactly. had right so if you're just like oh whatever like ghostface was kind of just chilling in the bathroom until he could get a guy like yeah that that i believe that but as you're saying like the fact that it was all orchestrated to get these two particular people like well i hope he has to piss in the first five minutes of the movie that they're right. watching and it turns out he did now do we think it actually i guess did it play out that so the whole thing was that they discovered that it was dewey and um gail 
discovered that there's some sort of link between the first murders from the first movie and this movie. That mm-hmm. the people being murdered shared similar names, and then it sort of halfway through just goes away. Like, and I kind of get the one that that confuses me. So, like, I get that they all share the name, and then the the two killers at the end, you know, they sh- share something with the killers from the first movie. How does the Randy murder tie in? Is he the principal? And if he is, then what's the 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 what? How is that tie in? Yeah, is there... it's it's never really explained because, like, obviously this is a revenge killing for uh, Billy Loomis's mom. So I don't know if she was just doing that to like for them to catch on that there was a pattern, and then she was just gonna go rogue. I guess it would be Mickey at that point, but like it it's funny that there was like even that was even part of it because like she didn't really need to go one by one because it was just revenge i see yeah i have i don't i feel like i have like multiple different stupid theories of why this could work uh in marvel comics back in the old days uh there's all these obvious like plot holes or or thought problems that you know people working at marvel couldn't figure out so then sometimes like a fan would uh write in and say here's my theory for why this happened and if it was good enough they'd be like yep that's it sure. yeah <laughs> they, get, they, they would give out what's called a marvel no prize like you don't get a prize for actually having done it uh but they're they just you know say like good job that's what we're going with um my favorite example is how come spider-man's webs don't like totally gob up his whole fist every time he makes a fist because he like uses those like web shooters yeah and mm-hmm. some dork say oh he has to double tap for the shooter to go off and uh that doesn't make any damn sense but marvel is like <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's what it is and you that's get a no prize yeah well here's my no prize for this after my 15 minute introduction there uh i could see the the it, the first victims having like name connections to the original movie and then that kind of going away i can see that explained a few different ways like one being it was a red herring that the killers are throwing out there to distract the police uh try you know get them to think there's like going to be some sort of name connection for every victim going forward and of course that was never their plan it could just be mickey and spoiler mickey's one of the the killers uh it could just be mickey like doing his stupid um you know movie fanatic routine where he's like oh i gotta kill some people we gotta kill some people that are connected to the first one uh and also could just be that like anybody from the first movie is fair game as far as the killers are concerned you know for the meta discussion of a sequel right randy is fair game dewey gail all of them like if you can get one of the original cast members who cares what your motif is you know you have to do it anyway sorry or it could have just been that their plan was we're just going to murder the first classmate that walks in here whoever (laughs) it is and then they're like oh that works yeah totally then we'll we'll come up with a it's just like that just happened to be how it worked and then i don't know I do know, too, that just reading the Wikipedia article that uh, <laughs> Wikipedia uh, that the this the script was leaked for this one earlier. Oh, yeah. oh I remember reading that during. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a, a good chance that they changed that. In fact, I think they did change a lot of of the ending, especially because of this because oh, people wow. knew who the killer was 
and uh, that there were, was rewrites happening during the shoots. Um, so I think that that explains a lot for this one because we'll get into it more, but as I, I did really enjoy this movie, but it is a little bit, I don't know. It's not as clean as the first one. It's, you said you yeah. did or did not? I do like it. Okay, um, cool. <clears throat> but it's just not as like, yeah, it's not as polished as the first one. And I, agree. I, I could see that for this being a major reason why, which is that that there was maybe a better idea of, of who the killer was going to be and it was a little bit cleaner and then it got leaked and they had to kind of scramble and, and figure it out. And because, I yeah, I just feel like we, we don't get to know the. um The killers as well in this one, I don't you'd like you don't see them as much. Maybe I. I yeah, I definitely like to do that at, when we talk at the end about, you know, comparing because I think that was the idea, right? We'd go episode by episode and compare yeah. the, the killers or whatever. I think that's going to be a really fun discussion uh, for, for the reasons you're talking about. But yeah, I mean, Kelly and I were talking just before we started recording about how I think that the cast in this movie compared to the first movie feels just enormous. It feels so big. Like there's so many characters even just minor characters they're serving, like the sorority girls and stuff, right? Who don't really play into the actual story too much. Right. Like you just meet all of these people. And since you have to spend time with Sydney, since you have to spend time with Dewey and Gail, um, there's just so much little, you know, so much less time to get to know any of these other newer characters. Yeah. Yeah. And it would definitely be weird, especially if they're thinking they're, they're moving this Ohio to just have, anybody else from whoever else is left i guess not a lot of people were left from the first one to come in well, but... now that i know it's ohio it's even funnier that her and randy go to the same college that dewey and um gail even bothered to show up both of them you know like this is a lot less like likely to happen like that many people don't just travel from california to ohio just randomly but yeah and i think they're they kept saying like randy was Randy seems like he's pretty obsessed with uh, Sid, yeah, Sydney, and um, so I, I guess that's kind of how they justified that. Like he kind of followed her out there. And... I just feel like I, I don't. Did they ever say Ohio in the actual movie? I don't. Kelly is just stuck on this. <laughs> I am stuck on Ohio because why would they at least not even like put it somewhere closer to California? Like that's a big move. Well, I think that's the idea, right? Like she's trying to get away from that life. Uh, I get it for Sydney, Joe, but everybody else—that's a big, weird move. Like yeah. Gail makes zero sense. But Gail, well, Gail's there to cover the story. Yeah. She doesn't live there, you know. Stand like out specifically because it's her. She's like kind of continuing her what she feels think, is her story. Right. Same with Dewey. He's out there to protect Sydney specifically. Yeah. Um, Randy's the only one that you kind of have to concoct a story for. And I, I'm persuaded of that, you know, he talks, he admits in the film he's obsessed with her. Like, yeah, even a joke, he clearly has a massive crush on her. I can see him like following her, you know. And his idea is kind of like, oh, once I get her out, like when she sees like I'm a mature college guy, <laughs> I'm going to swoop in and, you know, it, that's kind of, I believe that, that he left. I'm just saying it could have been like Colorado. That's closer. Anyway, <laughs> we can move on. It would have been uh, But it's it's more it's more slasher to put it in a random Midwestern town. It's true. I think too, um, before we get too far away from the very beginning, um, isn't it funny? Like Sydney's in, in college, so this all happened to her in high school. 
but it's it's crazy how um how soon it turned into like a phenomenon kind of movie like that has novelty masks and stabbing going on if it's a true story yeah like that's yeah. way too soon like it makes sense for i think like the later um screams where it's like oh this like old movie that we're looking back on like it's crazy that they made this but i feel like just a couple years after a tragedy they don't usually make a fun movie like that yeah it's it that first scene where they have you know they're at the stab movie uh showing and the crowd is you know a bunch of the dudes are wearing ghost face masks and have like light up uh plastic knives that they're like swinging through the air like fucking maniacs like for real yeah. like movie theater ever looks like that or ever has looked like that uh Since, i went uh, star wars phantom menace of course i guess yeah i mean i went and saw uh tommy we like showed the room here in portland and we went and like you know saw him because tommy was going to be there and like give a little talk and everything uh of course in that movie they're encouraging you to like throw forks at the screen or whatever you know just basically interact with the movie even that was like one two thousandth of the bullshit going on in that movie right. theater right movie, uh which is crazy but yeah kelly you're totally right like to me there's some, some sincerity lost from the first movie this one is less grounded in sort of reality uh it just yeah. seems very it seems heightened you know they they have that one girl that kind of like brings attention to it when she's in line behind uh, Jada in the concession line. She's like, oh, no, it's based on a real thing. A bunch of like people got slaughtered. And it's like that. I mean, it's so like shot by shot what happens in that movie that it's yeah. like, oh, it's not even based on. It's like just a horrible tragedy that they're like, look at this. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's true. We should talk about that though, right? Like, doesn't that doesn't that shot for shot remake kind of fucking rule? <laughs> It's funny too because it's like who knew exactly what the fuck happened. In yeah, there's show? a couple moments like I really like that that how they set that up, but I there's a couple moments like with Casey in the beginning where it's like she did that exact thing, like she crouched down by the window. It's and like they, the somebody pop. was there taking notes. <laughs> exactly Gail was very thorough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like how Casey's like retorts to the killer are less like good <laughs> like yeah. they, they're crappier than the real casey uh managed to pull off right. and scream I, I think that's really funny uh obviously the fake out where you know the movie starts with her trying to get in the shower which obviously never happened in the first scream like i don't know i thought those were all fun nods of like hey horror movies like uh we're yeah we're uh we're all just trying to go for the lowest common denominator here aren't we it was pretty fun yeah yeah also, the actors, I, this is going to be a, a theme throughout this movie, but the actors that they got to be in this movie within a movie to, like, say that they were in Stab, you know, uh, all to their phenomenal credit. Like, they're all doing great work. I think it's really fun. I'm glad there's some of the casting choices that we'll talk, like, so good. Uh, I was really impressed with that side of it. Who is, is it Heather Graham? Who is? Graham. Yeah, Heather yeah. Graham's Casey. She whips ass in this movie, for real. Like, she's... <laughs> She is doing that, uh, you know, horror movie victim thing, like, to the hilt. And she's also scoring a few shots like the real Casey did. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. She got some punches in. And then they've got, like, uh, a bunch of nods to the Friends cast with Monica being there. They got the David Schwimmer. I forget who he's supposed to be. Was he Cotton Weary? Was David Schwimmer supposed to be Cotton Weary? They didn't show him. I think they Randy? Didn't him. Or... Was he supposed to be Randy? No, Randy was another right. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy, really? 
Dune? He was, uh, yeah, maybe. that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, because Luke Wilson, you actually see, and he was yeah. Billy. I have this note in my phone for when Luke Wilson shows up where I'm like, God damn it, I respect Billy Baldwin for doing this. Parentheses, Luke Wilson. <laughs> he just looks like Billy Baldwin so much of that hair to me. Anyway. Does, yeah, the yeah. hair is bad. <laughs> I thought it looked weirdly good on him. I don't know why. Probably just because I have like, uh, you know, incurable 90s brain. But I was just like, Luke's out here looking like, you know, half a snack. Yeah, you know? good for him. Interesting. Okay. To me, he looked like, uh, I don't know if you watched as far into Friends, but he looked like Russ from Friends. Sure. Paul. He had the Russ yeah. quality. Yeah. He did have Russ quality. Um, But yeah, that's all I got in the opening. Does anybody else have anything on the opening scenes? The opening scenes. We had to keep restarting it because uh, uh, Paramount Plus kept freezing. I don't oh, know. Nice. Is it because I was on it? it would, maybe. <laughs> I'm blaming oh, you, I, you watched yesterday. So well, no, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we had to buy. We had to rent it. So I saw the opening scene three times, and nice. it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, and I give it an A plus. Nice. Um, yeah. I, the only thing. Sorry, I know I've been talking too much already, but the uh, the only thing I would say about the opening scene is that I think it's really good. It is super memorable, like Kelly was saying. Um. To me, it's the first time that the in the Scream series where the killer starts kind of like really styling on their victims. I know I talked about this last time. Mm -hmm. I liked how in the first Scream, the kills are pretty straightforward and pragmatic uh, and the screen doesn't really linger on them. But man, when Jada is getting stabbed in that movie theater, they just linger like hell all over it. Uh, yeah, and it's also yeah, just terrifying just seeing the the reaction from the crowd because that's exactly how it would probably go down. It's just like everyone like slowly realized yeah, something was yeah. going on. People start taking off the mask. Like it's it's a like it's a weird scene, especially like all the things going on in the world now. It's just like it's, um, just like the reality, just kind of like rushing into everybody yeah. and having to be like, oh, this isn't a good time. Like yeah, she's not is, joking. This is not fun anymore. Yeah, I don't. I don't think any of that is bad. Like, I don't think that 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 this first shift toward what I consider in the later movies, like they really go out of their way to like linger on and make the the deaths like super elaborate and kind of taking away from some of the drama of it. Um, right. I don't. Think, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I think in the in this earliest going, I think they're doing it. Like, I'm not going to use the word tastefully, but it's it's a bit more restrained. Certainly, way more restrained than they will be later on. So. Right. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was funny that, that Jada yelling at the screen is the only thing that got this entire crowd to shush. Like, <laughs> after they were just screaming and running up and down the hallway and, like, being jackasses, and then she starts saying things, like, just joining in, having fun, and they're like, shh. Just briefly. I thought that was a good gag. Um, it was, yeah. Now, that's a good gag. <laughs> Well, so the, the, so our, when we talk about the opening scenes, uh, plural, like, so we pretty quickly go from Jada's death to then seeing uh, our main characters on campus, right? Like, this is maybe my favorite scene in the movie, which is if it goes into the film class where you see Tim Oliphant, who is Mickey, and you see Randy, and you see Sarah Michelle Gellar, who is Cece, and like they're, and, oh, and uh, Pacey from uh, Joshua Jackson. 
is there as well. That's who that is. Okay, I knew that that was a guy I knew. Yeah, I had totally forgotten. I was like, I have in my notes. I was like, oh shit, Pacey's in the house. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, we get to see like a fun, again, this this is the table setter for this movie, just like Randy's, you know, discussion of the rules was the table setter for the first movie. In in this classroom scene, they're going to tell you what to expect for the rest uh, of this of this movie right like the kills are going to be more elaborate uh some of the original cast has to get gotten uh and then there's also a general discussion of like sequels and whether or not they're inherently bad which i thought was all a lot of fun yeah yeah it's a fun scene to show the college but it really took me back to like being in film classes in college and just how insufferable those people are the way they talk (laughs) Because like they would bring up points that weren't like I can I like you know that they're just like very like low to the ground points so that they can like get a general audience. But it's funny to me that like a whole like film studies group is like, oh yeah, the Godfather Part Two. That's that an interesting funny. thing yeah. to say. <laughs> because that's the first thing people say when you say a sequel. Like it's not like a oh, that's a thought provoking thing that you came up with later. Well, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, that's the obvious one, but we all forgot it. That's kind of what I thought, like, because mm-hmm. I didn't think I was trying to think through and I was like, what are good sequels? And that one didn't come to mind right away. So I really, I, well, I feel like maybe it's just the Internet or just like going to those classes in general. But like that or the m- fact that this movie already existed. But when I went to college. It's like that's the first thing people mm. like say to sound smart. It's like The Godfather Part Two was a, a sequel that was better than the original. You're like, okay. yeah, I I do think actually it's kind of funny to think about that from the standpoint of um, yeah now that the Godfather Part Two is widely accepted as superior to the first Godfather movie, um, it's very funny to think about everybody agrees on that, but Mickey decides to bring up two other stupid movies that aren't as good. Yeah, <laughs> like, here's a here's a film buff who's like, mm, what about Aliens instead of Alien? Everyone's yeah. like, oh, shut yeah, up. That was like, that's what are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's um, that's one of those things that everybody just decided to. Do we all agree that Godfather Two is actually better? Like, have we all sat down and actually reevaluated it? Will it come here soon that everyone's going to be like, actually, the first one is better? And then that's probably be what Gen Z opinion. is saying right now on their podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting the trash, for it the paper's to... trash. The Gen Z. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I was very late to the Godfather knowledge because my mom, for some reason was like deathly afraid of me seeing those movies. I straight up have no <laughs> idea why. She showed me the exorcist when I was like 13, but the Godfather, she freaked the fuck That's out. When she found out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's very weird. Anyway. Uh, but I think you have a mafia vibe and she was worried of like, yeah. setting it off. Inspired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there is a lawyer with partial irish descent in that movie who is mafia attorney and i don't want you to turn out like that well sorry mom it happened anyway uh but yeah no like i did watch the trilogy eventually and it's like yeah i I can see why like godfather 2 is considered superior um me personally I, i think the first one is just really compelling but i don't know we'll see what happens yeah we'll see what happens in the future if it switches but yeah, I, I I did like that scene. I did think it was pretty realistic for a bunch of uh, college students to be kind of having that that conversation felt very college, you know, where they you felt... feel like you're having a deep conversation. It's like, I mean, it's not that it's not, but it's like, you know, very base level stuff. 
it was very forced deep, but in a very college way where it's like, oh, these people are learning how to be people. Look at that. That's yeah. cute. Now, here's the scene. The the I think I love you scene. I did not like this scene at all. I don't you understand are jumping. it. Am I jumping too far? That's oh, yeah. like way later. Okay, like... I'll back off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've, I've seen this movie twice in my life, and one of them was yesterday. And like, I did really like it, but I don't really, you know, I don't know it as well. So, you somebody else take over. Well, we're not taking over. I'll, we'll just, you know. Uh, yeah, we no, can do. I mean, we did I that with it. the last yeah. one. I'll, uh, I'll jump in with my uh, observations. Number one, Paul, I want to say that uh, you are totally excused for having difficulty, maybe to because, as Kelly was saying, there is some like memory erasing aspect to this movie i don't know what it is but i do think it's possible that it might be randy's sideburn and goatee combo <laughs> when you see that your brain just me like no no we're not going to remember any of this yeah it, i was disappointed in randy him. yeah yeah it looks really bad well i mean i believed you for a second paul like uh until like but my notes are like written as i'm watching the movie yeah. So I was like, I wrote that way later. So that's the only reason I that's knew that you, you were like way off. Yeah, it's like, what had <laughs> happened at that point? I'm trying to even think of what happens between those two scenes. Oh, uh, and... well, I can probably a... tell you pretty easily. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I would, I would say really quickly, just, you know, from my notes that I was, I was going through, like they introduced Cotton Weary is is now, you know, on the scene. Uh, he is trying to contact Sydney directly um because he thinks you know gail weathers has told him that they're gonna get like a sit down the three of them you know for massive ratings and stuff so now cotton's back in town uh and uh i will say that at one point i think they're showing like an interview from him you know after his exoneration and cotton says that uh to be you know a, accused of a crime as heinous as murder is really awful and then i was like what about the rape part like yeah <laughs> Would the would the rape part not come to mind? I don't know. Like I, I'm not saying one's worse than the other. I just think they're both really bad. You know. Well, he only had a few words, and he chose them. <laughs> but yeah, so Cotton and Gail are both there at the campus that Randy and uh, and Sid are at. Now these murders are starting up again due to this movie made, you know, based off of uh, Gail's book. Um, you know, everybody smells the story. Here too is where we get some this crazy hanger on uh, a, a fan of of Gail's played by Lori Metcalf, um, and she's just there being really friggin' annoying and like trying to do like her own Gail Weathers thing, you know, asking Gail for tips because she's a reporter too and she wants to break a story and blah blah blah, and she's a real persistent annoyance throughout the movie. Was it upsetting to you guys like how distant Gail was from everybody like? based on where we ended on screen one and there's no explanation on because she's like she like doesn't know these it feels like she doesn't know these other characters like she's just as distant from sydney as she was at the beginning of screen one like it's mm -hmm. like they didn't even go through uh, like a thing together and murdered together that was a very i'm meeting you for the second time meeting <laughs> I, I agree with you from like a realism standpoint. And again, I think this movie is less grounded than the first one. I know it's probably crazy to say that the first one's grounded, but I, I do think there is like a better attempt at realism in that first movie. In this one, it feels to me like standard TV rules, right? Like 
uh season one a crazy thing happens there's an arc all the characters grow closer season two bit of a reset sometimes you know uh, we're not gonna start necessarily uh right where we ended last time like the characters will revert to form a little bit and then we're going to you know tell more stories i don't know to me that was like a pretty typical 90s storytelling thing mm-hmm. and that's what it's like that's what it feels like gail is doing here she's like oh you know the character gail she's a assertive and ambitious out for herself reporter well here yeah. she is being saucy you know because she had all this like growth in the first one and then it's just funny to see it be like i'm a, like it, it does keep happening throughout the screen series so that could just be what it is but like right it just always seems to start with oh i'm gail and i for whatever like god knows reason i wrote another book even though people <laughs> keep basing murders on it and sit, or one of the main characters is going to be like, why'd you do it, Gail? And she's going to be like, because I'm Gail. This is what Gail does. Yeah, uh, I think it actually ends up making her like a more likable character, despite the fact that <laughs> equality, like she owns her shittiness. It's basically her doing like the Bugs Bunny, ain't I a stinker thing <laughs> over and over and over again. And you're like, Gail's back up to her old tricks, but she'll probably come Gail. around. You well, know, who really grows? You know, who really evolves? <laughs> That's my question. It's just not Gale. No, what? Yeah, I believe it. I believe I'm serious. I'm being serious too. I think I believe not about that last comment, but that Gale would revert back to being Gale, and I kind of like that they did. Like, it that's her personality. You know, it's not like she had some like you know what I'm putting down the camera and I'm not doing this anymore thing. You're right. It's just like, and I guess. She a lot of it is yeah. just her being like a fake reporter, just being like, I did that for the story. I got close to these people for the story. So yeah, I, I think, see that. I, I think, I, I don't think that her reuniting with Dewey, jumping ahead, uh, in this movie is like um, disingenuous. I think at a certain yeah. point, there, I think the, the movie's trying to tell you like, this is who she is, which is yeah. somebody who is capable of empathy and who does care about people when the chips are down and everything but like first and foremost she's trying to get that bag like first and foremost you got to get that bag that's 100 uh, yeah. it. yeah it's that's yeah I, I i like that aspect where it's just like yeah she's not gonna she sees an opportunity she's going after it you know i appreciate that yeah I mean, and- she's not an altruist go ahead because i'm going to change the subject a little bit go for it say about gail I was gonna <laughs> uh Courtney Cox in these movies. So the first movie, her hair is pretty decent. Second movie, I feel like she angered what somebody backstage. On? Third I mean, movie, she definitely angered somebody. So let's talk about that. Let's not um, talk about that. I don't know so... her haircut from the third one, but this was interesting. <laughs> they clearly like she's supposed to have bad hair because Dewey at least makes a comment about it. Or she yeah. just has nice streaks. It's not like a, sl- it really looks, a slam dunk, but it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be bad, right? Like, it's so bad. It's not even like, I don't know. And it's not like she had that style during. Yeah, in the first one, she had normal hair. Um, yeah. And then this one, it's kind of like a, a rebellious, like, seventh graders kind of deal. Like, it doesn't, like, it's not good for her skin tone. So it's not like it was, like, put in her hair specifically for this character or anything, because people know better than that like on the, on the <laughs> actual yeah. team so it's like this was it, it was yeah it was either done on purpose or someone just really didn't like courtney cox so it's whatever 
I, I think whatever came up. I think there's a possibility that it's on purpose, where like they're kind of making fun of the Gale character for doing something that would be perceived as like, you know, a move that somebody maybe 20 years her junior would make. Yeah. So it's like, oh, Gail's like grappling with her appearance with, you know, an older reporter, you know, not older, but you know what I mean? Like she's not in her twenties anymore. So she's like doing this trendy thing that the teens are doing. I don't know. But now it's, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just agreeing with your point. I think that's a good read on it, but go ahead. Well, it's just making me wonder now, like whether the Randy situation was on purpose because he looks like shit. Like, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit because obviously he's like still young and he's handsome, you know, and all that. He's, he's a movie star. But uh, the goatee in, in Cyburns is such a bad look. Like now I'm wondering, is that on purpose? Maybe. Yeah, maybe there's but no one no one points that out but i that's that's believable to me like so you know your friend makes a weird uh, hair decision or a facial hair decision and you kind of have to go with it you know like i guess <laughs> they're going more, through something yeah i think it's more defensible like people kind of forget i think sometimes or or maybe you know they weren't alive then uh 90s fashion late 90s fashion was pretty awful yeah. uh bleeding into all... the, the early 2000s as well it's just absolutely some of the worst fashion that exists yeah and like I, the sorry go ahead kelly i was just gonna say i think the worst part of it is no one's ever on the same page in 90s fashion so like some people look okay just because they're specific 90s like aged okay like sydney's wardrobe aged okay but like you're right like and no one was ever on the same page with 90s so like it never really panned out. it couldn't pan out for everybody <laughs> yeah for sure it's really interesting too because like in the late 80s into early 90s, like that fashion is kind of back now with like, or whatever, from what I've seen, you know, on celebrities and the teens and Gen Z and all that, it seems like they're kind of more high waisted jeans, you know, lighter wash with the with the uh, the jeans. And, uh, you know, even like I've seen some like Zubaz pants or whatever the hell those things were called with like the animal <laughs> print pants. Uh, yeah. I'm glad all that shit's back because I love it. Uh, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I was I was just after that period is like when I was finally cognizant of, you know, style or whatever as like a tiny boy. Um, so yeah, like I was coming up during a time where it was like denim on denim, uh, you know, the famous photo of like uh, Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears wearing denim tuxedos or whatever. So bad. Yeah. Like so Canadian tuxedo. Exactly. Yeah. You're right, Kelly. Like the, there was just this terrible mishmash of like, extreme fashion like with the new metal stuff as well going on like this is this is a bad time it's a real bad time <laughs> and it ages people like I, f- I feel like people well i mean people looked old in the 80s but i think in the 90s people looked like i mean it makes sense that these characters were like older adults playing college students almost just because the way they are dressed like jerry o'connell if you told me he was 40 years old in this movie i'd believe you like the way he dressed and just his general, like, I, I think this hair, like, he definitely didn't look old in the face. So it was all, it was a wardrobe and hair choice that made I, him look that old. But I do have to, uh, just because it's the very next note on my phone here, I just want to say that Jerry O'Connell is world class handsome, is in my notes. Uh, I do think <laughs> you're not wrong. Like, he does look like a, a square, like, but I do think that, like, his look is supposed to be like a timeless one. Like, he's like a, that's just what a fraternity boy looks like. He has, you know, this 
polo shirt and his sweater knotted about his shoulders and uh you know well quaffed floppy hair like he's just got that square jawed quarterback vibe going on um he's a bizarre looking human yeah i don't think he's that good looking i think he's just um i don't even think he looks like a movie star he just looks like a guy you'd see on the road (laughs) (laughs) go that far really but (laughs) drifter (laughs) going from town to town (laughs) he's just a guy on the road just hanging out on the road yeah i don't know why i said road but (laughs) the rest is true yeah, he's a, he's an unusual. He's got two halves. He's like you know that that Mario three game where you try to match up the the pictures, the mushroom and the flower <laughs> and the star. It's like half of his head, like it didn't get it right. He did. He got went too far in the chin. It's a completely wrong chin for the top half of his face. And obviously, he's good looking. He's a movie star, but like I think it's his eyebrows. <laughs> I meant to me. say what I said. <laughs> I felt like we were getting too down on him because obviously he's a good. He's obviously human. doing quite well for himself, and uh, yeah, I he was married him. to like Rebecca Romaine, right? Yeah, like he's doing yeah. great, and he's just to me, it just yeah, I, I like both of these him and and Billy just very unusual choices for uh like the leading men, like to be yeah. like the dreamboats, I guess. Like, yeah, neither I, of them are dreamboats, but Joe thought he was a dreamboat. So <laughs> like it's agrees with us. No, I, I've, apparently I've had my brain just like totally rewired by these movies. And now I just like, it's, it is true what they say. Really? <laughs> no, but for real, like, I wonder if like, I chalk this up to like regionalism, like maybe just the Midwest is full of like killer hunks uh, that the West, <laughs> just doesn't have uh because yeah i don't know like i get like i feel like the movie is telling you billy you know skeet ulrich is like a uh, johnny depp style like troubled pretty boy like ooh, he's a bad boy but he's also pretty and isn't that interesting like i feel like that was what they were going for and that's what they got and i feel like in this movie what they're trying to say is, is like okay she sid is done with these like troubled pretty boys instead he's now here with like a fraternity dr hunk like he's like literally so perfect physically and conceptually that he has to be a suspect right uh because otherwise like it'd be ridiculous for a person to be that perfect i feel like that's what the movie is trying to do and all those weird side glances he did at the end of all their conversations yeah not a great one Chris. <laughs> no, I want to congratulate like, uh-huh. you uh on for being the first person ever to assume that the midwest is full of a bunch of books <laughs> just he doesn't men. feel that way no 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 no. i I am totally able to conceive of this reality because you know what i went to chicago uh, a couple years i guess two years in a row the past Mm. couple years uh and it has been phenomenal i've really enjoyed it and the people there are definitely way more attractive than the people in portland uh i can't imagine imagine. it's uh it's it's a harsh truth well well on that note. Yeah, so yeah. your Portland listeners, uh, come get me. <laughs> Go get Joe. <laughs> he's waiting for you. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, he's a, he's a handsome man. I think it's the, the eyebrows. I feel are unusual. We don't have to keep harping on it. That's right. You know, who, you know who I thought. So th- no, this is a really good point. I think it may just be like uh, we we're all in 2023, like used to a certain look. Because you know, those eyebrows, I couldn't stop looking at was uh oh god who's the gal who plays lindsey bluth oh, oh uh, Portia, Portia, Rossi. Yeah, yeah. Portia Rossi 
I could not stop staring at her eyebrows. They looked <laughs> yeah, like, they were bad. Okay, yeah. So I mean, maybe that's just like it was a aesthetic thing for the mid to late nineties that just we we cannot stomach anymore. Yeah, eyebrows are unusual. I think going back to the the Midwest real quickly, I think that he does have like a very farmer boy quality. Maybe. He's corn fed, yeah. He's a corn yeah, fed. Yeah, he's an American. I mean, for real, I think the movie is like laying it on so thick on purpose, right? Like he's a he's in med school. He's going to be a doctor. And he's like mm. understanding of his girlfriend, even though he's a beefy corn fed boy. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I think the, they do a good job subverting that a little bit because I think he's a little too intense with mm. Sid a lot of the time. And I think a lot of the stuff that he does to like seem like an, you know, capital you capital b you know understanding boyfriend uh comes off as like way too much which by the way paul was trying to bring up earlier when he was talking about the i think i love you thing are we ready to oh, i thought you were that? about to say like one of us interrupted him i was like damn okay <laughs> <laughs> that's what paul was trying to say if you would shut up for two seconds and listen to paul <laughs> trying to give some love to paul he deserves it. so many no it's fine thank you i appreciate it um uh, mickey is wrong that he has a good singing voice. I'm sorry for what is what is the dude's name? What is the boyfriend's name? Uh you know what? I don't know. You don't know what his just, name is? I just call I him Jerry O'Connell. Either. Yeah, that's I can't think of his Oh, name. I think it might be Derek. Derek. I got Derek. it right here. It yes. is Derek. Yeah. Mickey is wrong that Derek has an okay singing voice. This when does was, he say that? He says he got an okay singing voice. It's during the end. We'll get to it. Um, oh, okay. But He's very wrong. This was uh, a disaster. They're in <laughs> college. Why is everybody applauding this? This is very like, <laughs> like I believe it. It would never happen in high school, but I would believe it if it were set in a high school because there are like that those hierarchies and it's like he's the jock and well at least we're we're led to believe that in these movies, you know. Okay, we're, we're yeah, there. but I think this is kind of what we talked about in the first movie too, where we weren't, we didn't really agree what kind of group that the the main characters were supposed to be. Because mm -hmm. to me, they come off as like the freak group from like Freaks and Geeks. The, they're not the jocks or the popular people. So I think going into this movie, I feel like the people writing this just don't know like where to put these characters. Because if you showed me a frat guy and said he was about to sing a song to his girlfriend, the Partridge family is the first thing that he picked up on. He's like, oh yeah, every all of these guys know the Partridge family songs. Like, Hold on, wait a second. <laughs> what, what's the Partridge family angle? That's the song he sings. I think I love you. That's the Partridge family. Okay, no, I, so, oh my God, is, ah, I'm choking on my own rage here. Uh, is it, okay, Top Gun? Yeah, exactly, yeah, that's what they're going for, right? Like, yeah, but he, does he sing that exact song? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. See, Paul, I asked you, and you said you sang a different song. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I saw all the <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Sorry, 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 sorry. Actually, let me back up. Let me back up. Uh, in Top Gun, they sing "You've Lost That Love and Feeling." Yes, that's what I was thinking. But, but, song. but they make a very specific point of Mickey going like huh, Top Gun, like doing like a reference to that, right? So for me, like what the movie is telling you is that. Uh, you know, number one, associate this with Top Gun uh, and that sort of very similar scene. But then number two, that like in this reality at this school, this particular fraternity, uh, this is their their ritual, right? Like if you're going to give away your letters to your girlfriend, which is a big uh, no-no, you have to do this song. Uh, 
So you that's think that I song was, is that what it is in Top Gun? Is that so, it's one song that they have to sing? Well, it's it's not no, like a I, thing for yeah. them. It's just that if they have a code where if one guy, or at least between Goose and, and Maverick, if one of them starts singing, you've lost that love and feeling and everybody has to join them. Uh, so it's yeah. mandatory. It's but still, even if the... it was, okay, go ahead, Paul. It's, that makes sense to me. So it's Top Gun and the fact that there, there's a song, right, that you have to sing in a specific circumstance, in this case, in Scream, if you give your letters away. <laughs> and this then everybody in yeah. Scream 2. Uh, <laughs> so we're, now we're, we know that at least it's happened before. And people know like, it, oh, that's why this is happening. Or like, you know, it's a big deal. And they're used to it. So it's and, and that much I buy, but like I don't believe I don't I don't want anybody to choke on their own rage again here. But I don't <laughs> believe that that song would be the first one that people would choose. It's not like, I, chose, I guess it was chosen for him. It, it was it, chosen it, for him by who? By fraternity. fraternity. Yeah, it's, I it's don't a believe one. the fraternity would choose that song. Okay, well I have I have bad news. Uh <laughs> I was in a fraternity uh, and we absolutely did corny shit like this all the time. And it always was like corny ass songs like that. Uh, okay. And it was a very specific one. Like we had, uh, you know, and there's also like sororities do the same thing, right? Like uh, if the DGs heard, I can't remember which, what, what it was, it's like uh, shook you all night long or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it was mandatory that all the girls had to start singing that song in unison, dancing to it. Like, face push whatever guy they were with like it's girls time this is this is our sorority song and we have to do it uh you know what yeah. the difference is joe is that that's a really good song <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. but part of it like the part of it is the humiliation right like the thing is is he's giving his letters away you're not supposed to do that because like ooh, gay you like girls not an actual thing i think but like that's the you know fraternity guy uh right. reaction uh and so yeah, like you're supposed to do, they make you do something humiliating to even like consider, uh, you know, honoring a woman that way. So you're saying that you thought that he was like already decide, like already getting ready to do a ritual to give away his letters, which he wasn't supposed to give away and didn't want them to know he's going to give away, but he's going to do a ritual about it. No. Yeah, there's there is, it is not. Uh, let's put it this way: you're going to get punished for giving your letters away. But like, it's a thing that some guys do with, you know, girls that they consider, you know, that they're going to like get married to or what, like super serious relationships. That's why like later on in the movie, the fraternity brothers like run him down. I, and... I'm not questioning any of this, Joe. I understand yeah. that. Well, I just wonder what the disconnect is. Like, <laughs> yeah, you seem like you don't you understand it. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> this is that football play all over again. I understand. Oh, yeah. I understand the the concept of giving away the letters and that something's going to happen because of that i'm just talking about how the song doesn't make sense or like how he would already have sung the song before like any of the the frat was involved that's the song anyway, that you have to sing to give away your letters yeah that's, that's, that's what the one. you have you have to do that to give your letters away he knew he had to do it so he did it Okay, but I also wrote down that I think they chose that song because it has the lyrics. If you say, "Hey, stay away," I will. Anyway, because we can move on. <laughs> it does we eventually do that. 
Yeah. He does okay. eventually stay away when she says to. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Okay, Paul. Um, I can't believe you maybe divulge my fraternity background. How dare you? I, I, it didn't you make me talk like about this it all the time. Because I didn't hate <laughs> this scene, but I've never been anywhere near a, a, a fraternity. Um, my school had two buildings, my college. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, but knowing that, I, that makes sense to me. I accept this I, scene. Based on what you guys are explaining to me, you don't understand what I'm saying, and I think we should just move on. You don't, you don't understand what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I understand what I'm saying, but I can tell that we're not on the same page based on what you're explaining back to me. I know. I will say this: it's a, it's a difficult scene to watch, and I was glad when it was over. <laughs> I like it now. I'm going on record that I like it now. I think it's good. Agree on that now. <laughs> I'm back around. We've gotten upset enough that someone had to change their mind. I, no, here's the problem I had with it. I didn't understand it. I, I was didn't know what I was looking at, and I was like, "Why is this happening? Why are these people so excited? This feels like a very high school thing." But knowing that, I'm like, that makes sense. And like, everybody's kind of aware. Either they're aware that it happens. They've all heard this song and they know what it means when it comes up in the cafeteria. Why are they eating in the cafeteria? I guess another question. I didn't really know <laughs> that in college. Um, again, we had two buildings though. So um, there might not have been a cafeteria. We had know. like eating halls. Like that seemed normal to me. Oh, okay. See, again, um, I, even, I love the scene even more now. So I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm all the way around. I think we should all yell more about this scene and then end the podcast. <laughs> I Yeah, I think that's good. I don't know if there's anything else to say about this movie. I will say that I was worried about Jerry, like, jumping between those tables. Uh, that did not, yeah, yeah, that looked sketchy. Yeah, it was dangerous. And that's a situation where you slip a little bit and you're going down, you're hitting your head. Yeah. So not good. But he did it. And but I did, yeah. Anyway. Did everybody, anybody like the fact that, like, so by now, you know, Dewey has arrived on the scene mm -hmm. because these murders are taking place. You know, obviously, Gail's there to cover it, Dewey's there to protect Sid. And uh, I don't know, like, uh, I felt like maybe this would have developed later in the series, but already I am just overwhelmed, like, with like good. I don't know what it is like good feelings, I guess. Just whenever Dewey, you know Dewey shows up, I'm like, there's a, there's our guy. There's, there's a real good guy. Uh and I love that he doesn't have like any, you know, big advice for Sydney or anything. All he says is like, I want to look out with you or look out for you uh -huh. if that's okay with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's like a good guy to a fault. Uh just what a what a hero. And someone should check in with Dewey a little bit more because his sister did get murdered and he was stabbed. And yeah, like, they said they haven't seen him since the funeral. That's really sad. Yeah, and it's like up. that it wasn't that long ago. And he's he's a pretty strong character considering uh, that he keeps trying to come through. And I think also it's a little bit maybe he doesn't know how to ask for help. Hmm? Maybe he uh, <laughs> <laughs> wants to. Yeah, I was doing that because I thought I would sound silly for saying that. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe that's part of it. Maybe he doesn't really know like who to go to because who does he have anymore? Is, is well, he... 
right. as you say that it is sad that both sydney and randy don't check up on up on him since like they both say we haven't seen him since the funeral right what that would have had to have been like three to four years ago at this point so like they're not so like dewey's up on ohio crime and he can see this happening and rushes to Sydney's side. But yeah, she didn't. It was a national news story. <laughs> I need you to quit ganging up on me. <laughs> okay, I'll take Kelly's side on this one uh, just for the hell. Uh, hey, Paul, uh, who who watches that much TV to know about national stories? This is, I'm so sorry. This is the nine people are outside. Are directly connected to an event that they went That to. wasn't like one of my main points i just threw that in there and then you didn't even listen to the rest of it and got mad okay, about I'm that sorry. go ahead well, i'm done i finished my point uh I, I do no you're it's super messed up in my mind that like sydney hasn't spoken to him right um i can see the justification from dewey's side of the character where he's like this was really, um, you know, she was like the focal point of that whole thing, even though she didn't die and my sister did. Like, she probably doesn't want to be talking about her trauma every day with me. So I'm going right. to leave her alone. Yeah. But Sydney is like one of the, as I discussed previously, one of the greatest final girls of all time. And I think she is positioned pretty um, positively with the audience. I think the movie is telling you like, oh, she also kind of rocks. Like she's, she's a good person or whatever. Uh, but for her to not check in with Dewey, uh, when Tatum was her best friend and Dewey, yeah. like that, that does seem kind of messed up. Yeah. And it makes hey. sense to me. It makes sense that he would go out there because where else is he going to go? Like, hmm. I feel like he's, that kind of makes sense. It's like, he's lost. I don't know if he's supposed to still be on the police force at this point or if he has a so. job because he kind of leaves for a long time and doesn't talk about that. Um, or at least well, I, I mean, missed it if he did. I think in the next, by the next one, he's the sheriff maybe. So like he must still be on the force in some capacity. I don't know. Maybe he's still on leave. It's not really, Yeah. it's not really shown too well exactly how much time has passed in between these two movies, even though they have the characters progress. They kind of talk like not much time has passed. So it's like, are we supposed to believe? Well, it could be there's, but I don't remember if they're supposed to be seniors in the last one or if it's supposed to be seniors and freshmen, but I don't It's It I just think, feels like not much time has one, gone. I think in the first one, they are talking like they're contemplating like graduation or college or something like being not too far away. And I okay. think, I think based on the fact that people are trying to rush uh greek houses in this movie i think they're supposed to be freshmen um they they come off more like sophomores like they've been there for a minute yeah you kind of know the whole deal and it's not unheard of for people to like rush a house as a sophomore instead of your very first year but yeah to the extent that it's not super clear the only thing that is clear is like the first victims were seniors at that school and that they are older than everybody else that you're going to see like, so I think that's as much, you know, uh, confirmation as they gave. Mm. It is weird though. Like, <laughs> uh, any way you slice it, whether it's been one year since the murders or it's been two years since the murders, whatever, like, uh, Randy, you're a dick hole. If you're not calling, uh, you know, Dewey to see how he is, <laughs> uh, you know, Sid, how about you, you link up with the family of your best friend once in a while. Yeah, but, at least once. 
yeah like, yeah like it was weird to even have like she didn't even need to have that comment in the well they didn't have to have that comment in the script just like haven't seen him since the funeral like that's just a weird thing to say like that was a again like with the gail stuff like that was a close person within the everything that happened i don't know it's it's bizarre it's weird i agree he's totally just, so i guess having a hard time i mean he couldn't he's he's having difficulty walking yeah how do we feel yeah, about yeah. the uh the, the dewey uh physical acting huh. pretty good I, I thought it was good. Yeah, I um, that was believable. Yeah, and I kind I like the who was it that call kind of tried to call him out or was like oh that's Randy. I thought you were yeah. I thought that was that was good. Like I liked how he, he's just like didn't you get stabbed in the back? Like not understanding what happened at all and like just sort of trying to accuse him of of something and it's like what are you talking about right you should have like, been like so you remember where i was stabbed but not to call yeah <laughs> that's a, a comeback oh shit <laughs> just rinsing randy's ass uh for <laughs> no it, that that i do really appreciate that because like uh to me it was less brought up by randy as like a shitty move more just sort of being like that like blithe uh, you know, guy without tact being like, hey, what, what is with that thing anyway? I thought you got stabbed in the back. And just like the sort of derisive look that mm -hmm. David Arquette gives when he's like, yeah, severed a nerve. <laughs> like, yeah. do you know how backs work? <laughs> but yeah. Uh, it, I, yeah, I thought like the, the his acting is like very consistent throughout. Yeah. It's a very pronounced limp. He's got like a very pronounced like hand uh, dysmorphia or or whatever you call it. You know, it, it's it's like kind of in a jagged, uh rictus mm -hmm. uh and like i don't know if that was a choice that arquette made or if it was like told to him to do that but like whatever it is it makes dewey like even more sympathetic in my mind because here he is with this you know he's he's got a knock against him he's not he's not exactly the physical specimen he used to be and he's still here trying to do the right thing and, and protect sydney yeah So one thing we did skip over when we we jumped to the uh, singing is Cece's death, Sarah Michelle Geller. Right. So she was, um, and I, I don't know, this this sucks to me in general. Like, it's weird to just leave one person home. I don't know if that's something that was normal, uh, a sober sister. It seemed like there could have been sober sisters, at least two of them in that giant big house all alone together. But I know that she had to be alone for this movie, so it made sense, I guess. But uh I don't know her death it was um she had a good fight back so like it was it was an exciting like it she, I feel like she actually got like for being just kind of I think because she was Sarah Michelle Geller, even though she kind of had just like a side character that wasn't even part of the friend group she did get like a a very long send-off with a good fight back mm -hmm. absolutely yeah I, I think she's this movie's greatest get I know that I'm biased here because Kelly and I will one day start a Buffy podcast where we go episode by episode about how much we like that show. Um, but Sarah Michelle Gellar is like at the height of her Buffy stardom at this point. And for her, for a character who's like representative, a woman who is representative of like strength and like fighting against horror tropes for her to be a victim in this movie, like, you know, they knew what they were doing with the casting. She knew what she was doing when she accepted the role. And like, she does such a good fucking job. Like her acting in this is really fucking good. Uh, in my estimation, like just the way that she like 
holds her head and kind of pushes her hair back as she's like trying to like get a hold of the situation with this you know this killer calling her on the phone and very clearly being in the house and she's you know questioning everything she's hearing like there's a level of realism that they're playing with her performance that i think is like totally to the movie's credit yeah she was really good and like she had like the whole like she thought it was her boyfriend calling like the first two times and like had to realize this was like a new person i did like the the specificity of like having the landline phone because we all had that phone when we were growing up probably and when you go out <laughs> you could go outside like a long yeah. distance before it would cut off so like i love that part it's a little weird that it was like right outside the house where it stopped working but like yeah. when she got out there you could like feel the terror of being like how close can she get for the phone like comes back on because like I yeah. remember like talking to people on our old cordless phone and like trying to see how far back into the bar- backyard I could get, you know, before you couldn't hear anybody. So it's, it would be scary to be like trying to walk back to the house. So like putting yourself in her shoes and being like, how close can I get to like a very dangerous situation and yeah. have this work? So it was a very cool, like it grounded like what time period it was. And yeah. it was just a very specific feeling that we all kind of experienced. Yeah, that's that is one of those things where it's just like I remember that they didn't try to do the cell. I guess they did try to do cell phones later, but yeah, I liked the <laughs> that scene. I liked her co- having a reason to come back into the house. I'm not 100% sure why she then decides to shut the door and arm it, where it's clear or it seems pretty clear that the person is in there. Um, yeah, I thought that was a little strange. Yeah, it that that was you know a necessary sort of construction in order to get to the you know the the chase inside or whatever those houses are enormous and like i don't don't know the one that i lived in was like run down as hell but it was also like four stories counting the basement uh they're absolutely cavernous and there's so many points of entry that for me like i don't care what choices she makes she's dead anyway (laughs) like there's no way to crack all of that space um but yeah, like they, like you were, you were saying, like they do a really good job of giving her some opportunities to fight back. I did think it was very funny that at one point when she's running away from Ghostface, she goes up that like narrow attic stairs and like rolls a bike down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? Uh, but yeah, she does eventually get got. Uh, and, you know, the movie gives her the respect of, of, of a more drawn out scene where she's mm. able to, to fight back some, which I thought was cool. Yeah, that's another parody they do really well in the scary movie movies, where like they have uh, Anna Ferris do like this similar scene with Cece, where she's running up the stairs, so she throws the bike, and then she throws that entire piano, and then she throws her grandma. <laughs> so like, <laughs> <That's> good. good. <laughs> <laughs> There's like three jokes in those movies that are just killer joke. It really helps that Anna Ferris. I mean, she's just yeah, extremely talented. But anyway. I know. I just watched House Bunny the other night because it was on TV at the hotel, and I was like so excited. Like nice. that's one of my favorite movies. It's so good. <laughs> anyway, so Ghostface. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's um, from the majority of the kills. I think it's Mickey for the majority of the kills. Yeah. Um, so, but it's uh, crazy if we're thinking of the very first scene in this scene with Cece. How strong this guy has to be if he's shoving knives through doors and uh bathroom stalls like it's mm-hmm. nothing so he stabs straight through that wooden door at cc's place and then he stabs oh, yeah. straight through a uh bathroom stall at the beginning yeah tim oliphant that, that is true tim oliphant is uh 
the king of looking like that guy to me. <laughs> he's just a guy who's like, oh, it's that guy. Uh, and I love him dearly. I always have, especially after Deadwood. Um, something about him is like really physically intimidating, even though he's not like a million feet tall or 250 pounds of muscle. Like his whole deal on Deadwood is that he plays this like barely contained rage uh, sheriff who's going to clean the town up come hell or high water. Uh, and it's totally believable. Like he just has that like inner intensity. So I kind of, I don't know. I kind of buy him as Mickey in this movie. Oh, I definitely do. Um, I just think it's funny the the strength that it takes to, especially the, cause I, I don't know if I, I definitely couldn't stab a, uh, a knife through a bathroom stall, depending on what that's made of. Usually it's like thick plastic, <laughs> but of course like a wooden door, like it's funny that they do this twice to show like the strength of this person when later you see who the killers are. Like, I guess you could believe that Mickey would do it in like a rage, but like the majority of the time that we see Mickey, he's even, it's funny that he's supposed to be like a nerdy, like film dork. Cause he doesn't look like one in the slightest. So like he gets turned down by that girl for being a dork. And then like, he's supposed to be like in these classes talking like a dork. Um, and then he's supposed to be friends with like Randy. Like that's supposed to be like the, so it's just funny to see like, oh, like this person had like the strength to do this. I, he makes, I think he makes sense later once he's like that, like, I think he shows his like true personality later when he reveals himself as the killer. And then that makes a lot of sense, but it's funny up till then. I don't know how I you think, guys feel. No, I think that observation is perfect. Like, um, again, we, we don't get to spend very much time with characters outside of the core cast. Uh, or sorry, the, the first movie's core cast. Uh, and there's so many new characters. I don't feel like we ever really get to know uh, Mickey very well. Not but, yeah, not at all. Yeah, but to your point, Kelly, uh, the, the moments that we do spend with Mickey, the movie is telling you very specific things. One, he is too much of a film dork to get like, you know, he's not going to be getting with like any of Sid's friends. Uh, they turn him down, you know? Uh he's yeah he's like he's not like a super desirable guy uh i think later on they call him like a tarantino film bro or something which i think is the mm. attempt to make him sound slightly more virile than uh than your average you know like siskel and ebert viewer or something i don't know but uh yeah I, the movie is telegraphing to you that like he is like an outsider of sorts i like that they called out tarantino i don't know if it was any sort of trying to be any sort of slight but i thought that was interesting i yeah. did too i um yeah i mean i liked him a lot well we'll get to that later i guess i'm I'm still jumping ahead here but i just i would have liked to get to know him more like the scenes he was in i liked and i believe i believe that he could have done something <laughs> like this but like paul's like i could have changed him if i got to know him before <laughs> the big reveal awesome. Yeah, we all think that, right? <laughs> we all want to believe with Tim. <laughs> I think there's only the, there's for me the thing that's weird is like he's like the anti-stew in some regards. Where like in the first movie you get a billion scenes of stew being like fun and funny, and you're like, oh, that's cool. Uh, and then when the eventual reveal comes, you're like, oh, shit, him, <laughs> damn. Uh, and then with Mickey, he gets I think he gets one scene. Where like he's talking to Sid uh, after they're in the hospital after uh, uh, Derek gets cut on the arm or whatever, 
and he's there being like look like everything turned out okay like you've got your friends you got the cops like it's gonna be all right like that's the only time he's shown being anything close to like a real friend to her and it's just not enough yeah. to me anyway no. i i also enjoyed him clapping along too i think i love you so <laughs> that was funny was two big scenes yeah i don't think we got to know either of the killers well enough at all um, yeah Anyway. Yeah, definitely the second one I think was supposed to be more of the oh my god, and then Mickey was just kind of like ah yes. <laughs> so that's really that's really interesting. I, I I can't wait till we talk about that because I think you can look at that dynamic from either angle uh, and come away with different, uh, totally opposite uh, impressions. But uh, we're not quite there yet, right? So what's the next scene? So the next scene is the the theater scene where Sydney is first talking to her professor or the director of whatever play she's in. And then she is actually like doing a rehearsal for the play and uh, everybody uh, is in this unfortunate scene for it where everybody is in a mask chasing her with uh, knives and mm -hmm. pretending to stab her. And she's supposed to be doing this choreography and like jumping through it. But then real ghost face comes in there and starts doing his little stabby stabs. So... It I don't think he does. Like this, this, she actually just pictures that, right? He's not. I don't there. think so. I think he's actually there. I think that it's. But I think that Mickey is there in the robes, making like. I think it's supposed to be like the bathroom scene, and I know in the bathroom scene in the first one, it's supposed to be just like a random dude that's supposed to be messing with her. It's not supposed to be one of like Stuart Billy. But like in this scene, I think that it's just supposed to be like a mess with you scene. Like, remember me, bitch. I don't I think, think it's like, her imagination. He looks I don't know. Back at the guy, and he's not wearing the scream mask anymore. Well, so I th I think that it is a callback to the 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 very first scene, right? The first theater scene where he absolutely is, you know, killing her, you know, killing Jada Pinkett, and then disappears out the side, and all these people look like him. Uh, I think right. it's a callback to that. I think probably what's I, I tend to agree with Kelly on this. I think what he's doing is like weaving in and out in the background, wearing the robes, but with the ghost face mask. And so she's just having a hard time, like nailing down where he is. And when she when her mind's eye tricks her into seeing the guy that they eventually reveal is not a killer. Like it's just because he's, you know, he's messing with her mind so much that now she's starting to see things in that moment. That's how I saw it. Hmm. Okay. I do think he's there just like weaving in and out, you know, uh, yeah. messing with it. He kind of ran off. He mm -hmm. scurried away. Okay. Because he kind of goes like, I I, I um, feel like he kind of goes in that direction that you're supposed to believe that it's Derek coming back. And okay. then I think you see that from Sydney's point of view as, oh, that it could potentially be Derek because the guy slipped away and now he's coming back from that direction. And I don't, I forget mm. what he says, but um, I don't know if Mickey was supposed to pick her up because she mentions that. She says something about Mickey and he says, it's not Mickey, it's me because of something or other. I don't know if either of you caught what he said or what that meant, but. No, I was trying to think of what scene you're talking about. It's when um, she meets up with Derek in the back room after all this chaotic stuff happens. And she right. finally tells him that she wants him to back away and just, and then he like is like, am I supposed to be understanding? And then he leaves. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At the very beginning of that, she said she was expecting Mickey, and he says Mickey had to do something else, so it's me. Oh yeah, no, I know exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. But I don't really know why she was expecting Mickey. Like it didn't really. She didn't make that clear. Like there was nothing that they were supposed to be doing together afterwards. So 
I thought that was kind of like a, oh, it could potentially be Mickey in that scene because Mickey was supposed to be there, but had to be somewhere else. I think that, yeah, I think that absolutely links up with the eventual reveal as Mickey, you know, Mickey being one of the killers. I think in that moment, though, it's it's well hidden by the, you know, my focus, at least when uh, he was sort of like offhandedly being like, no, Mickey did something else. It's me. Like, you're supposed to be like, oh, what the fuck, Derek? What are you doing? Why are you yeah. like, are you brushing this yeah. off? Are you trying? Yeah. I don't know the way that that's set up. It sounds like Mickey's the boyfriend and he's just the random guy because it would be the opposite. Because like I was expecting my random friend. Why is my boyfriend here? Seems like a weird reaction. Yeah. Yeah. The only person who's clearly not Sid's boyfriend in this movie is Randy. Right. Poor Randy. Let's. This. Oh, one more thing about this theater scene that I. I I guess you might both yell at me again based on what happened earlier. I'm going to no matter what. (laughs) <laughs> we're never gonna live it down paul this is it this is it for us. <laughs> that's our dynamic anyway um is that all of like, this is supposed to be the theater group and i guess it even makes less sense now that i know it's set in ohio because i thought it was like a california school which it kind of made sense where everybody goes there to be actors but this is an ohio school where this guy's like supposed to be a doctor and like all these people are probably going into different career paths why is everyone in the theater uh, like a fraternity or sorority person? Like, that's not, that's pretty unusual. Like, based on, especially what we were talking about earlier with theater dorks and musical nerds, like, that's who you basically see in those groups. Uh, if everyone was taking off their masks, especially after this very theater dorky play, it's not going to be a bunch of frat guys and sorority sisters behind those masks. Yeah, I, I don't think know if it's because like that's the characters they had and they couldn't really introduce a bunch of new people, but that's what it was to me. It was just literally to give more face time to oh, I feel awful. I can't remember the lead sorority gal's name, the actor's name. Um the one in... that was in Jawbreaker? Yes. It's like something hearts or like love. Rebecca? Oh, uh, Rebecca. Rebecca Gay Heart. Gay Heart. Boom. Yes. We do it here Got it. for everybody's <laughs> entertainment. Yeah, she's. Uh, I feel like that reveal in the theater where, where, like you were saying, the the masks come off and some the sorority girls that we would recognize are there. I feel like it's just to give them more screen time so that, you know, they don't feel like a totally tossed away character. Like, oh, I recognize them. I, I, that's how I took it. Yeah, it's just it, I, it's just something that's funny. Like, I guess Sydney, you right. can sort of see because she's supposed to be kind of an outcast, but like, it's just. That's not the crowd, I guess. Paul, how do you feel? I d- I didn't register to me. Oh. Yeah. Was anybody else like super stuck on how fucking awful her uh, drama teacher is, the professor? <laughs> like for real, like this woman, you know, went through a a terrible trauma where she almost died uh, and had so many people stabbed to death. And then she's like, you know, with all these stabbings happening again, and then also like I'm getting phone calls, and then also somebody tried to stab me and then did stab my boyfriend, even though it didn't kill him. Anyway, is there any way I could not do this uh, play about stabbing? Seriously, yeah. Have He's you like, thought about doing it anyway? Yeah. <laughs> what What if you considered doing it anyway? And I yeah, don't. Much. I don't have an understudy. Aren't I so funny and charming? <laughs> I don't have any time for this. Yeah. What a dickhole. Anyway. Yeah, he sucks. Like another piece of, to me anyway, with uh, the Catholic guilt that I have, uh, immersion breaking uh, levels of crappiness. But it all, 
I bought it. I get no, it. totally. Jokes aside, it's a very funny commentary on like, yeah. So, right? Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I get it. Which is good. anyway to finish up that scene. I wrote "No nerds to be seen" in all caps, and we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> there are no nerds in Ohio. They're all hunks, hunks <laughs> and babes. That was the only thing I could think of as Kelly was talking about, like, isn't it weird how there's like such a high percentage of, of Greek people, uh, Greek as in like fraternity, sorority, whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, we get it. We get it, Joe. No, no, no. I was just saying that the Ohio State, Ohio State's like student population is like bigger than some countries. Like it's insane. That is true. <laughs> the only thing I could think of like, oh, if they're trying to say this is like a, a stand in for like Ohio State or something like, I guess I could see that. I don't know. I, yeah. That was my thought. I was like, this is probably supposed to be Columbus. Like, that's kind of what it, it feels like with all the hunks and the babes. <laughs> you, can't, I, you can't go I, too far into Columbus without seeing all the hunks and the babes. Without My real, my, my, uh, my connection to Columbus, such as it is, is that uh, the law school I went to played in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State, I think, twice uh in the time that i've been a fan of it I, I, whatever i've come across ohio state fans a couple of times and i was just like yeah yeah that that fits that's about yeah. what i thought yeah i hate them it's just like the ohio state university um they used to come to our campus and they would throw buckeyes at us well they've been busy getting their asses handed to them by michigan for a while now so that's they can beautiful. kick <laughs> i love it Both i sheets. love it I love seeing Ohio State lose. It's, we all do. It's yeah. Who doesn't? I don't even care if if we have our eight listeners are all from Ohio State or Flint. <laughs> I'll start over. I'm burning it to the ground and starting fresh. Anyway, like, I may be a hunk or babe, but now I'm an insulted. <laughs> all all like, is beautiful. We are very big Wolverine fans. <laughs> it's the Buckeyes. I can't believe that they're calling me attractive saying I'm not a nerd. And then they're saying <laughs> that yeah. I am some kind of rude person for going to the Ohio State University. <laughs> it makes That's me laugh when we'll this is completely off topic, but well, no, it's not. It makes me laugh when other schools like uh, when they're doing the Sunday night football and they're all going through their schools, when other schools do the the in front of their school, I'm like, that, I love it. That's specifically <laughs> a burn on Ohio State. It's beautiful. It's really good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and also I like when uh, Ohio State players say the high school that they went to instead of Ohio State. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, don't don't give them that extra whatever. Yeah, they don't need the point it. Is the Oregon Ducks beat them, uh, I want to say, two seasons ago during the regular season in Columbus, and that was like one of the greatest uh, oh, no football games I've ever seen. Yeah. Or when Purdue, I'm not even a Purdue fan, but when they absolutely just whooped their ass randomly and they were Sorry. like a terrible team, or they were just like just starting to to kind of find their own uh, thing, they weren't any good yet, and just just absolutely whooped them. It's beautiful. I just I just love it. We all you like see, Purdue. The Purdue thing. You're not a Purdue fan. No, me. Yeah. No, no. You wouldn't call yourself a Purdue fan. No, no. Wow. Oh. I guess dad has a right to disown you now. <laughs> I didn't go there. 
I'm not, I'm not claiming that. I'll pretend to, you know, oh, shucks, when they lose. My wife is a huge Purdue fan, you know. Oh, you geez. didn't go there, oh. but you lived, you lived there. I'm not some townie. I'm not some townie <laughs> fool. <laughs> what do you claim, Paul? IU. Okay. Hell yeah. All right. You didn't go there either. I did too. Not the, the the cheap knockoff version of it, but I went there. <laughs> <I'm an laughs> it says IU. <laughs> Didn't you guys have your own team though? The uh, the Grenadiers, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, uh, it's different than the the Cal system, all right? There's different Cal teams. But there's only one IU. We all know that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. It would be funny if you're a huge Grenadier fan, though. <laughs> I tried. Like <laughs> we wrote a song. Look, Can you I, believe I, what happened to the Grenadiers this weekend? Everybody would be like, oh, yeah, everyone yeah. saw. I think we have tennis. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Look, my, undergrad, my undergrad was the University of Idaho, so I am a Idaho Vandals fan that nobody knows or gives a shit about, but you better believe I've seen games in person uh, relatively recently. Beautiful. Well, hopefully they come across the Grenadiers at some point. Yeah, that's a that's a rivalry that I think rivals <laughs> all of them. <laughs> That'd be funny if that was like the main rivalry. <laughs> we both have I in the state's name, <laughs> so whatever. Yeah. Going for I, it. A <laughs> New Albany, Indiana team and an Idaho team just right. mad as hell at each other. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. All right, so. After this, I'm sorry. Okay. I guess I thought I meant he was coughing. Now I'm confused. <laughs> I'm back. My my <laughs> drink was stuck to the coaster, so I tried to pick it up, and it was a disaster. So I can see how that would make you have to leave. I needed to stop the whole show. <laughs> Kelly off the top rope. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, my coaster stuck <laughs> to my drink. You know how that happens? You don't salt it. You got to salt your coasters so they don't stick. <laughs> so I'm assuming the next scene is Jamie Kennedy's death because I did not write that very clearly on my notes, but I said Jamie Kennedy got his moment. So I'm assuming he's about to die. Straight up. Is I do think. Yeah, you know what I think is really funny is I think probably you and I had this similar experience where like I noted up, I had notes about uh, every scene we've talked about thus far. And then like, I have no more notes after this. <laughs> Not because like nothing cool happens, but just because like with the way the movie's moving forward, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to forget anything about this. Like Randy just died. <laughs> like, like I know <laughs> I will remember that pretty easily. Uh but yeah, that's anyway. the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Randy dying. Randy dying was, I because again I've seen this movie twice now and I wasn't ready for it. Uh, yeah, I know this was something that I had read again in Wikipedia that this was sort this was a big uh, complaint about this specific movie is that they killed Randy off, and I yeah. feel like I know um, my wife filled me in a little bit about how he shows up in the third one, um, but I kind of felt like he's he's sort of necessary for these movies like he explains you know he explains how right. they work he's supposed to kind of exist i've almost felt like he should have been as unkillable as sydney not quite obviously but like 
he's should be some at least like Gale, you know, like he shouldn't be touchable. Um, yeah, and I guess you're right. I, um, they do like revisit and like have a way for him to explain um, the the metaverse to the people of Scream Three, but Scream Four I think is the only one that doesn't really have a person that just like pulls it forward with that at all. So um they get a randy type character back for the rest but like yeah it's it's weird to get your like it's supposed to be like the person guiding us through these movies it's weird that they, he could be killable but he does yeah. say it within his own speech that he is now uh available to die like right he says yeah it. that's totally it right like so they they mm -hmm. tell you in that film class scene like that you have to expect somebody from the first movie is going to go uh and to me it can't be Gale. It can't be Sydney, obviously. So that really only leaves like a toss up between Dewey and uh, Randy. Randy. And you know, as we'll discuss later, the movie gives you kind of the fake out that it's both. But yeah, it you know Randy is the only character that dies in this movie from the original cast. And uh, you know I think either one of him or Dewey would have become like cast in amber as like a cool character who shouldn't be touched. Uh, based off of their survival from this movie, and it's like a, it's a coin flip, man. I guess I guess Randy's got to go. I mean, probably he's the character with the least amount going on, you know. Yeah, that's true. And I guess based on based on my search and the people, the good people of Reddit, uh, apparently uh, this is the only death that is uh, has um, Mrs. Loomis as Ghostface. So everybody right. else is supposedly yeah. Mickey. This is the only one that is um and she's, yeah, she says that at the end because she kills him. I guess he made some sort of comment about Billy. Um he accurately described Billy and she took yeah. exception. <laughs> it's just funny, yeah. She I think this is addressed too by Sydney, but like she abandons this guy and or kid, and then suddenly she's gotta go murder for him. It seems like a drastic there you should know, be an in-between between um abandoning your child and murdering for your child. There should be like an in-between of like doing something else. Yeah. But you know, Lori's playing this character with like such wide-eyed insanity, oh, which I think is great. Um, but like for all her protestations about like, no, what I'm doing is totally rational and also justified. Like, you get that she's a fucking nut job. <laughs> like <laughs> There's no logic here, you know, beyond like that need to kill. Like you abandoned your child. Like, shut up! I still want to kill you. <laughs> like, <laughs> no amount of logical consistency consistency is going to stop her. Uh, I do think, I, you know, I'm not going to say that this is like uh, later complaints. I do think Randy's death is shocking and uh, uh, a decent storytelling, uh, you know, pivot that they did. I didn't need to see him get stabbed so many times. Like, oh, I was yeah, like, they really yeah. gave it to him. Right? I was like, this is an original cast member. Like, the death should be tasteful, I think. <laughs> uh, I think he should probably get a bit more. Like, he got some good verbal shots in. Yeah, not, but he didn't not, get much of a fight. Yeah, exactly. That's my Which complaint. is especially weird because... It's supposed to be like the the more frail character that killed him. So it's like, really, Randy couldn't overpower. Like, I know that like the mass changes things, but Randy couldn't overpower like a 50 year old woman at all. Like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, all the shots from like the the van's side view mirror or whatever, 
is just him getting fucking owned from yeah. 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 it's like i don't know dude like i get it like you're you're trying to convey a lot of information in a short amount of time but like you're seeing like the college kids like walk by listening to a boom box is like the van is shaking back and forth yeah. you know i'm like i don't know maybe like show me a little bit of an interior shot of like randy like giving himself a chance but he's yeah. also the, he's also the nerd uh so like he's gonna get stolen on a little bit i guess I guess, but you're right. It's just, it's weird that he got, and I guess he's sort of the equivalent of the cameraman death. Is that right? Is he? Yeah. It seems like it. Cameraman yeah. dies, but it felt like that. Like, you know, it was sort of, yeah, th- there wasn't much. Cause it was it. kind of, I guess, just like the, um, in the, in scream one, I think like it was supposed to be that heroic moment where he was going to like run in and save Randy and then this is supposed to be Randy's heroic moment. He's on his own. They put him in charge of talking to the ghost face. Like he has all these like quips back at him. So you think that he's going to get like, uh, at least like find him first or find her first, but he doesn't, he doesn't even find them first. He just gets pulled into a van and just stabbed repeatedly. Like he doesn't get anything. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Kenny, like when Kenny died, like they slit his throat and then in his dying moments he tells sydney how to fucking escape out yeah. the back right so like there's there's yeah. in that death that brandy did not get that's very true he got he Poor got Randy. even less anything like I, I don't know that whole scene was kind of strange to me too just because it was so it, it, yeah it was just interesting how it was like this bright sunny day and it didn't really feel that tense they're running around in this park knocking yeah. cell phones out of people's hands tackling people <laughs> like yeah. they, they had no strategy for that at all most of the people <laughs> they attacked did not look like they were talking like as Ghostface at all like, why didn't they like wait a second and like let's see if he says anything in that yeah. voice <laughs> <laughs> like, they just tackle this guy they're, they're just like oh sorry you were uh, like grabbing everyone was very understanding they're just kind of like who is this and then everybody's yeah. like all right we'll wait till you're done yeah <laughs> just give her a look like i can't believe this like not you know just go back, go back to your picnic <laughs> doesn't it for real feel like though that like they expect you to be like well these cell phones are so new like yeah the crazy shit's happen, like this, i guess where yeah, they're like, well, you can't trust cell phone. It could be anybody. I won't. That's, I won't that's interesting. And the people on the other end are like, yeah, no, I totally get it. Cell phones are <laughs> weird technology. You're allowed to act like a maniac. You're, yeah. You know what? That's true because they are. We are forgetting that they're, they're not. They're not living in a world where you would see people with cell phones that often. Right. Like it's unusual. So if you see someone with a cell phone, if you see a guy off by himself in the, you know, he's in the area and he has a cell phone, it would be less weird to assume that they would just jump to that conclusion. But it's like now you wouldn't think that. But like back then, maybe it made more sense. I don't know. You've changed your tune completely. You're like, yeah, tackle that guy. (laughs) Tackle more people. Tackle people who don't even have a cell phone outside of their like face. You, it could be anywhere. Yeah. Tack everybody. Y'all say though, I do think they they have made now. You know, counting the first movie and this one, two movies where like the entire thing is like cell phones are new and they're Mm -hmm. weird. So like (laughs) you can do whatever you want. We all agree about that. Like whatever logic we come up with. You know, in that first movie where you're like. 
uh, how do you explain, you know, this whole like pinning on their dad thing? And the sheriff just like looks directly in the camera and being like, it was cloned. The phone <laughs> was cloned. And you know what that is. And even if you don't, you're right. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did think that my phone could be cloned a lot when I like, I just had that stupid little one you could buy at like the, at like Target that you could put yeah. minutes on. And I was like, I could be cloned at any minute because of these movies. So it was a big deal. <laughs> I just think it's uh, it's really pushing it to be like, here's two movies in a row where it's like, hey man, cell phones are weird, aren't they? Like you already use yeah. that. You right. use them already, come on. It's true. And they're still using it in the, the new screens today. They still at least they so. used it in four. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So after this is the library scene with uh, Sydney. She's on her computer. She gets the instant message. Luckily, the guy Ooh. next to her knows all about exactly how that works. And he can <laughs> explain to her at, in real time exactly what happened, which was great. Um, that guy's... And then cut. Yeah, what uh, was that guy about? <laughs> he's like, he just leans over. He's like, every computer is connected at the same time. And he can go to any computer. By the way, you're going to see like five other guys tonight. One of them will be caught and weary. Like, you're just like, <laughs> right, yeah. So many things. I just love how readily he had that information. And like, she barely asked him the question. She's like, I got an instant message. He's like, absolutely. What you're going to want to do next. I loved it. Maybe that's how he uh, ends up when he goes there. And he's just like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to find someone who kind of doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. I'm going to sit down and just like, so you know. Sandra, you know what? That's a good move if he was the one that sent the message and now it got out of hand. If he it's just also... sent a message that was just kind of like, hey there, and then he's like, this happened, and she starts freaking out, and he's like, oh shit, I messed up. I watched the movie <laughs> Double Jeopardy real quick, recently. I watched the movie Double Jeopardy, and something very similar happens, where she's in the library using the computer, and this guy comes up, and he's like, oh, by the way, here's exactly how computers work, goodbye. So I wonder <laughs> if it, it's like, oh, this is such a new technology right now, like, we need someone to, like... Just, I don't know why Sydney couldn't have known, you know, but like just have someone show up, kind of explain it, and then just get the hell out of there. It kind of felt like that. Do you remember that that parody movie? I forget. I think it's called Not Another Teen Movie or something. Um, yeah, yeah. But he's just kind of like, I'm the token black guy. I just say exactly what you need to hear in that scene, and then I go back to what I was doing. <laughs> like, that's basically how it felt. Like, yeah. even though he wasn't saying a token black guy thing, but it just felt like uh, I'm here to just tell you that, and then I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Right. See ya. <laughs> that's absolutely reminiscent of that. And uh, one of the reasons I thought that actor did a really good job, because even though it does stick out as like, wow, this is really like expository in a way that feels kind of unnatural. Like the way that he's kind of giving her a look, like, didn't you know that, that every one of these computers is connected at the same time? Like he just has like this very like casual vibe of like, yeah, of course that happened. <laughs> I was like, good for him, man. He did a good they job. Should, they should have revealed him as the killer. And then just like that's his <laughs> only scene in the whole movie. And then he's the killer. He's like, remember me? Paul, it would be amazing that if that's the original <laughs> script that everybody saw before it went back to this one. They're yeah. like, shit. What do we do now? <laughs> that guy was like our big guy. And like, he's probably like, like mad as hell. He's yeah. like, that was my moment. I was the killer and scream too. And they're like, yeah. no, you weren't. Yeah. We yes, fair. I was. <laughs> Thanks to the length of his expository speech. Uh, he only has 37 seconds less screen time than Mickey has. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess right after this, Cotton gets weirdly threatening for no reason. Like, uh, this is obviously the worst time 
for yeah. Cotton to get threatening with Sydney. Like she's got two police officers undercover with her. He knows that she, they leave her alone for a very long amount of time for him to have this whole exchange <laughs> yeah. with her. So like, I don't know camera, right? how how thoroughly they're checking that three rows of computers. But um, <laughs> he gets her like down the stairwell. He has his hands on her. He's yelling. Like, I, I he's trying to prove that he's innocent. Like, and he wants her to go on to this like, pro, uh, I forget. It was the one, of, I think it was. Uh, I mean, Sawyer, I think. Her, um but yeah he wanted her to get on there with her but like he there's no reason for him to be that threatening other than us want like wanting us to think he was the killer yeah it's well, the worst possible time the the only thing i was thinking while i was watching that is like i don't know like i when i was coming out of uh law school and shit like the, the thing i was like most passionate about or whatever was like criminal law because like people get jammed up in the u.s uh, criminal system pretty frequently and it's you know whatever like the whole state is stacked against you and everybody's just totally deferential to prosecutors anyway it's a big problem so for me of course in my particular poison brain i was like yeah cotton probably came out of that whole situation like not normal anymore uh <laughs> and i could see really being put on death row yeah I could see him kind of struggling to know how he's coming across and like having to deal with people so often and having to kind of convince people. It's like, I'm okay. Like, you know, and I maybe not knowing how intense he's coming across because of that, you know, because he's trying to act so casual about it that. Right. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I get that it's yeah it's obviously they're trying to sell it's like okay so he's you know he's coming back he's obviously has you know a motive that we can easily see it would make sense and then to throw this stuff on top of it it's like I get it like he's really trying to get back to his normal life and he's sees this angle and she like he sees it as like this is it like my life is ruined if I can't like get this redemption arc you know right and but also very gale like right like here's a chance to make a bunch of money yeah yeah right yeah i I'm, I'm glad they threw the scene in just because like i think cotton should be somebody you're concerned about <laughs> like yeah I, right and I, I think also the movie is telling you like he wasn't caught up in that first you know the the death and, and uh assault of sydney's mom he wasn't like caught up in that just because he was like some random, uh, you know, right. nice guy, right? Yeah. Like this guy's got some fucking issues, which I think is a good character note. Absolutely, yeah. Like we're we're not sure how to feel about Cotton, even though we know he wasn't involved with that murder. Like, right? It's still that's kind of how it's presented, and yeah, I uh... yeah. But who knows if he flipped since then? Like we don't know, so we could see like know. that. The... Especially if like he's getting more and more frustrated with Sydney for not helping him clear his name, that yeah. could be a motive. So it's like, well, if I'm going to go down for this anyway, I might as well go down for something. Like, and I could see him believing that she that that Sydney owes him that. Yes, right? it's the yeah. yeah. Like yeah, he that. definitely. Especially, I think Gail has really like gr like groomed that out into like. Sydney owes you something because like that was her whole deal with like the first two books. It was all about Cotton and about how Sydney's lying and like she's always she was always with Cotton, always behind Cotton. Right. And so I think that's more of like a, yeah, I do deserve this. Like this person obviously thinks it and has put that out into the world. Right. 
yeah. That's why it's especially funny, like right after this scene where Gail is just kind of like, screw cotton, like I'm on the good side now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Frankly, by the end of the movie, like I'm still not on Cotton's side. <laughs> like, even when he's yeah. he, one of the killers, I'm like, that guy piece of shit. Uh more... I know he's still yeah. No, 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 please. I was gonna say he still feels guilty in that moment. It's more like a, I stumbled in here and I still want that interview I was asking about earlier. Like a lot of shit yeah. happened in these last two seconds that we can talk about later, but like remember how I need you. It's like Homer yeah. taking over that ice cream truck. But... <laughs> <laughs> Take it all. Big fat guy. Yeah. Right out of you gotta yeah. help me. So let's move on because i do I, we'll have more to talk about with cotton here soon that i want right, to bring totally. up but i think yeah. it's next kelly what's gail that? and dewey are the mm. are the next uh they're being stopped by mickey within the theater and like sound area of the school yes yeah i think we can maybe kind of go through this because so, so much of it is visual right there's like not yeah. a whole lot of dialogue at this point it's the classic running through an unfamiliar building, uh, trying to open doors that are locked, mm -hmm. uh, getting shunted into this room. Gail is like kind of the primary uh, pursuee. And she she finally outwits the killer uh, to like get herself into a soundproof room. Uh, and the door is blocked by, you know, a shelf that she knocks over or, or, or whatever. I, I guess at this point, the killer doesn't know she's in there. Um, right. So Dewey comes in and he sees her, he sees Gail through this soundproof glass and he starts pounding on it, trying to get her attention. Cause like, you know, I guess at this point they think the killer is gone and they can try to get out of there. Gail doesn't hear him because the glass is soundproof. So she doesn't hear him banging on it. And then the killer shows up and just starts stabbing the shit out of Dewey in his back. And he, you know, does the smash face blood coming out of his mouth, you know, as it drips down the, the, the glass and Gail is crying and screaming as it's happening um and she manages to i get do we see her evade the killer fully at this point or is it still left up in the air um it's kind of you see like because she's like still screaming and he starts like trying to get in there that's and right he's, like throwing chairs this is the only yeah. really time that because we talked about in the first one you kind of see Ghostface kind of like in a goofy light where he's kind of like falling down yeah. and getting hit this is the only really time you you see that in this movie is that he's like trying so hard to get in there and like throwing the chairs at the yeah. the window even though if it's mickey we he knows full well that that's not gonna do anything Very so true. like um that's the only time you really see Ghostface in this movie looking silly this in the bike right he got defeated by a bicycle oh yeah. the bike yeah <laughs> no that, no this is this really is the only one that he's so goofy that he is throwing chairs against the the soundproof glass but you know, whatever it's it's for the audience's benefit, right? Right. And yeah. You this... just see, like, I don't. Uh, did we? Yeah, I guess you just asked the same question. I don't really remember if we saw Gail actually fully get out of that room. No, I'm remembering now. What happened was, uh, he's he, you know, the so the door's blocked, so he can't get in. But you think he's killed Dewey at this point, and he just keeps like trying to get in through the glass. Mm -hmm. And she sinks to her knees by the desk and just sort of covers her eyes. Like uh, the last scene of her, I think, before we mm. cut to that scene is her just sort of like, I don't know what to do. I'm at my wits end. I'm giving up a little. Or I'm in despair, that kind of thing, you know? Because she doesn't, this is like it, right? Like we're, we're, right. we're coming into the end of the movie and 
she's in the school and this is how she's in the school right or right like, yes so, oh yeah because yeah the next time you see her it's it's she's being pushed by um billy or uh, billy loomis's mom so that must was that uh, billy loomis's mom well, then it was it not mickey well maybe I, sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say maybe she got her later i don't know did we not see that i can't really remember now i i took it as it was billy's mom was the one who was like hailing gail and who carved up Toby. and then that, okay. that's why she shows up later with gail at gunpoint yeah because like she pushes her in and like even though like i don't think anyone rationally believed it was gail because i think that's what like that was supposed to be like who's your like partner and then gail walks in and then everybody's right. like okay who's the partner keep going yeah, really who's behind gail? <laughs> <laughs> no, so the, the next scene though like fucking rocks right like it's really good it's the scene where uh before we jump to that i just want to say it. one thing about that last scene because i like that scene a lot i thought it was the probably the most like no that's not true there's another scene i thought was more tense but and that's probably the one you were gonna, about to talk about joe but i um i like the moment there is a kind of like raptors in jurassic park moment where um gail knows where ghostface is but ghostface doesn't know where gail is which i don't yeah. think we see very often at least it stood out to me here more than it has in the past where she knows she's kind of maneuvering around him and he's lost and i just thought that was just an interesting change he was he was hunting but we kind of saw it more from her perspective as, as her evading it than anything you're so. right I think the only other time we do see that is in Scream 1 at the very beginning with Casey is once she gets outside, you see Ghostface through the window rush across the living room. I think that's the only other time you see Ghostface without him like like actively stopping somebody. We're seeing that from the um, person's point of view that he's like going after. Yeah. So yeah, it's, like the, no, it's, it's so good. Like it's the subversion of the horror trope in general where like, Anytime you see somebody trying to evade the killer, unless it's the final girl, they're going to get got. Like they're going to turn around a corner and he's going to be standing there and they're going to run into his chest, a la Sid running into Stu in the first movie. And you're like, oh, that's it for them. But in this in this case, you get to see Gail do a good job of it and it totally evade the killer, which is cool. Right. So there, I, I don't know if what scene you are about to go into joe because there's the there's three there's like three big scenes um so i guess you you just want to go into what you're going to go into no please uh i'd rather you talk than me embarrass myself by jumping ahead i was just gonna say there's there's the scene with um the roommate's death and then there's the scene where the frat boys like uh attack her boyfriend and bring him to the theater i was thinking of the car like the, yeah. the... okay yeah that's the next big scene Okay, cool. So go ahead. Oh, it's just, uh, it's a great piece of business where you see uh, Sid is getting into the car with her her police escort. She's got two. Um, I like the little flavor that they gave about them not too long ago, where it's like, I think one of them's like a divorced dad, and the other one is uh, like a handsome guy, but she's like, but I think he's gay. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so her police escort, um, uh, teen gets her into this you know old kind of oldsmobile style older police car she gets in there with her roommate and then you know the cops are sort of not really on their game as they should be ghostface gets the drop 
slits one of the cop's throats who's in the driver's seat. And then the other cop who tries to valiantly shoot Ghostface down uh, ends up on the hood of the car and Ghostface drives the car into like a, a, a concrete, you know, divider or whatever. And uh, a terrible steel rod goes through oh, the yeah. cop's head, uh, killing. So killing the second cop, the team's now totally dead. Ghostface is in this uh, driver's seat of the crash car. And since it's a cop car, there is a mesh that keeps Sid and the roommate from the front seat and their the doors on the rear on the passenger side in the rear are all locked. It's a cop car. So anyway, Sid has to peel back the 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 uh, mesh that has now been pushed out by the the steel rod coming through the car's windshield, and then since they can't get out their side doors, mm-hmm. has to crawl across the the driver's seat where the killer is, uh, and it's super tense. And it's a great time. <laughs> like now you it guys really know. is. It's yeah. scary as hell. Like just I every time I watch it, like it's as intense as the first time. Like I don't like I never fully remember if it's if Ghostface snaps up, you know? Like I'm always like thinking it's gonna happen. And then I'm like, I like even though I I, I know what happens, but it's like right. but he could grab her this time. Right. And then I hate that like Sydney gets out and then like we have to like wait for her roommate to also do it. It's terrifying. He, they, they take a moment to have her convince the roommate to do it <laughs> like which is yeah. it's a great i don't know it's a great moment like because you know you would think like after seeing sid be like okay well the the rear side doors are locked we have no choice like i'm gonna crawl across the killer she pauses where she like considers taking the mask off and she's like you know staring at this unconscious killer you know ghost face uh figuring out like just like do i crawl out the window or do i expose this motherfucker right here now well she chooses to crawl out and then her roommate is like, what if I try the back doors again? Like, no, <laughs> all over him. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I intense. think originally they were hoping that she could open it from the outside, obviously. Oh, yeah, like, that's true. Right. Uh, yeah. But, she did try. So I think she was probably convinced she wouldn't have to do it. Probably that whole time Sydney was doing, she was probably thinking like, glad that's not me. Like, I don't have to do that. And then she's like, fuck. I do <laughs> totally have to fair, do totally it. Fair. God. I do like I hate that Sydney doesn't take the mask off though. Like I know that she goes back to do it and then that's what causes it. Well, it doesn't cause the roommate's death, but that's what leads to the roommate's death. But it's like I just wish she would have grabbed the mask off because that would be the first thing I'd want to do. Like you know as sucks. soon as I was like out of that car. Mm-hmm. This is what sucks. Uh I don't ever do this. I hate when my like my family does this. We're like, well, I simply would have done blank. Like that <laughs> hate that shit because it's just like man enjoy the ride but to me (laughs) it's crazy that sid's big dilemma is do i take the mask off or not when to me like you have an unconscious serial killer like the big yeah for me is like do i sit with my legs placed over their arms so that they can't (laughs) do anything and then i choke the fucking life out of them like (laughs) here is where i kill this unconscious person it's just very funny to me that the movie's like, no, she's not like, she's not, I mean, technically she has killed people, but she's not a quote unquote killer. Uh, the the dilemma here is, will she take the mask off or not? Right. I guess I didn't even think about her killing him, which makes complete sense. But, but I do think it's weird in both those situations. It's like, it, you'd think you'd do something with this person, not just like, oh, we got to get away when there's an opportunity to do something, like to either know who you're dealing with or to kill that person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you said, I don't like to do that. I would have done either, but it's just it's it's a funny situation. Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. 
No, you're fine. I I agree with all that. I guess it's just like, but it doesn't. Yeah, that there was a bit where I was like, why doesn't she? There's got like the probably that knife is still in there, um, and maybe there's a gun. There's glass everywhere. You know, pretty sure the cop's guns on the the hood of the car, right? Right. You like, see his his hand twitch after he dies, and the, and the gun's still there on the hood. Anyway. Like it just seems like there were there was opportunities for for her to to go ahead and end this whole thing. Um, yeah, I think anyone's death after this point is directly Sydney's fault. I believe I put that on. <laughs> no, it's the roommate's fault. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she should have. Don't you guys? I don't know if you guys think the same way, but isn't it funny that she um, ditches contact with her boyfriend immediately, but her roommate, she for whatever reason decides, is completely safe. To the point where she has her as an escort, but she met these two people probably in similar times. Like it's not like she has a whole backstory with her roommate that she didn't have with anybody else. So she trusts the, this random person, but not her boyfriend. Which I guess I get with uh, the Billy Loomis connection, but still. Yeah, I guess if it's like, well, my boyfriend in my boyfriends in the past have murdered, you know, like you'd be a little wary. Her roommate is giving bad advice all the time, though. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I know true. there's all these murders going on right now, but like, let's go hang out. Like, like, let's <laughs> just go to a big public area. Uh, actually, maybe the public thing is a good thing, but still, I'm like, Sid, you got to get out there. I'm like, does she? I don't know. <laughs> Seems like a weird time to get out there. Maybe we can just hang at home just for yeah. a little bit. Maybe don't join the sorority who just started showing a lot of interest in you because you're the subject of a series of murders. <laughs> yeah. Right now. You know, yeah, but that I don't know. All that, that being fault. said, I did I did like the scene, and I like everybody, and like they did a good job with the roommate crawling over because you assume it's like, of course, Cindy's gonna get out, but you right almost feel like like I didn't remember what happened. Um, so I was thinking in that moment, like she's this is it for her, like she's not gonna make it through there, and it was just a very tense like crawling through, like just thinking about having to do that, and um yeah that that was if you think about it for a little bit it does kind of ruin it but i don't know i think they did a good job with the suspense of it yeah it was definitely supposed to just be like a a kill scene that had like an an extra layer of suspense so like they did a good job with that yeah yeah then, i i am not actually complaining about the fact that sydney did not no. like somebody. No. right we like, are all against you I, right yeah, now i have the same thing. it's hard not to go back and be like wait a minute like why did she yeah. want this because you could still take the mask off when he's dead kill him <laughs> take the mask well, off I meant what I said earlier about it. Like that's that scene rules. I think they they did a great yeah. job. Oh, that's uh, great. It, yeah, it, it's really fun. And the, like as Paul was saying, like we're pretty geared up toward the end of the movie, and for that to stick out so much after everything we've seen, like I think is a really great credit to how they shot it and the pacing in general. You know, of course, the roommate gets out, and then Sid and her are starting to run away. And Sid says, I have to go. I have to know. I have to go back and pull the mask off the unconscious killer. And the, the roommate's like, smart people don't do that. Smart people get the fuck away. Let's go. And Sydney's like, I'm tired of running. She goes back there. Of course, Ghostface is no longer in the driver's seat. Somehow he overcame a, an insanely bad concussion. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to uh, to then, you know, Sydney's like, oh, my God, he's gone. And the roommate's like, you know, where? And then out of nowhere, Ghostface grabs her and she's dead. 
So now the, the roommate is dead. But, but uh, to be fair, he does have a scratch on his eyebrow. So that's, yeah. yes, right. You look really and dumb right now. Traumatic event. <laughs> Do we think he was actually unconscious though? Because Good question. He could have been fucking with him. Yeah, who knows? Like that's he's very fair. Maybe he's assuming that they're gonna go for a weapon, and then as soon as they do, I'm gonna come back up, you know, or what they're gonna go for my mask, and as soon as they touch it, I'm gonna come back up, and then they both leave, and he's like, okay, that like runs around, like it seems strange that it's like immediately he gets up, he realizes what's going on, you know, and then yeah. gets out and comes around. I maybe it's a little bit like he's just waiting to pounce a little bit. Totally that's, fair. that's probably exactly what happened, honestly. Like, especially the way he's fucked with them in the in the past couple scenes. Yeah, yeah. I do think there's also a factor of uh, when you're watching the movie and they, you know, they play the tension of them crawling over him to get out the driver's side window. Like, they play it for so long that it's probably like ten minutes in real movie time. Uh, that probably only took like you know four minutes if it were to happen in real life right? right it just it feels like he's out for so long that yeah uh if it's if he's not faking then it had to have been a really bad head injury right right yeah yeah i bet you're right paul i bet it was a it was another fuck with but i do like the the parallel of this scene where you see jerry o'connell right before they, they leave and they leave in the car you see, like, um, what you think is Ghostface running in the background, so it kind of gives you that false sense of security in that short second where you're like, oh, he's not the killer. Like, he was, like, because Ghostface is right there, but then you learn, like, almost immediately after that it's um, the, fr the frat brothers punishing him for giving his letters away. So, but that's that's also a very intense scene where it's, like, it's very unsettling where they get him back up on the in the theater and they kind of bring that theater dynamic back and it's it's just a very scary scene when they're like attacking him and we still don't really know who the killers are at this point it's just mm -hmm. kind of like i don't know it's a good scene yeah it's a great fake out where it's like here's a ghost face and it's like nope it's not a ghost face it's his fraternity brothers doing awful things to him so technically derek is still on the table as you know a potential killer uh we yeah. have not eliminated him yet uh, so <clears throat> after the roommate dies, right? Like that's when, so they track Sydney from running away from the, the accident, you know, the car accident that preceded all that she's running toward the school, right? Toward the, right. toward the audio visual, you know, the theater building. Yeah. So she'll meet up where, um, I'm not really sure the timeline because all, I guess all the, they would have like, uh, carved into him and, and got him drunk in that short time when they were in the car because by the time she finds him he's alone and they're all gone yes and so, it's not entirely clear like what actually happened to Derek right right like I think you're right that like drinking was involved but like well the, yeah they show that scene where they're like pouring beer down his throat yes yes okay good call but like yeah he, he just kind of shows up like with his arms tied behind almost like a, a crucifixion uh uh you know pose um tied to this you know piece of of the scaffolding or you know, so, you know something on like a, a lever or pulley um at the top of this of the uh the theatrical stage because uh, shit all right you know what i should just let you take over from here because the 
how he actually gets down and Sid sees him on that thing is well is how- he's he's on the mount that's a part of the play because that's right. that scene that happens in the play where I, the angel gets lowered down and points at her so yes. the the frat people like put him up on there uh they carved into him and got him drunk but it's just weird how how fast they did it and then left but they leave him there and i guess uh i think mickey lowers him down just like they do in the play right when sydney gets into the theater so it's mickey who does that and that makes sense okay yeah, yeah. Cause that I, that should be Mickey because at that point he's about to reveal himself and then we don't see uh, Mrs. Loomis until she comes in with Gail. Right. So Sid runs into the theater and then she you know has the has uh, Derek lowered down and she's you know starting to untie him. Then the killer, one of the killers, you know, uh, with Ghostface regalia on and everything, walks up behind her onto the stage, um, reveals himself as Mickey. And then Mickey starts talking to Derek, who's still bound to this like kind of cross looking thing, uh, starts talking to him as though it's like, hey, partner, uh, now we're going to get her. Like, you know, in such a very unconvincing way that it's crazy that she believed him at all, because like, I don't know, Jerry O'Connell, like very clearly does not know what he's talking about to me. I don't know. I can tell in Sydney's situation that it probably would be a lot different, but it's just so funny that it just, it's very, it's not convincing at all. It isn't. And also like, I think what the movie is trying to do by like, it's like, Oh, but look, Derek starts getting unhinged. Like I'll fucking kill you. Like you start saying, I was going to Nikki. And it's like, Oh, isn't that unhinged and like makes it plausible that he could be one of the guys. Like, no, that's just like a normal reaction, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) I've been tied up. You're about to attack my girlfriend. Yeah. That's very normal. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to stop you from killing me and my girlfriend. Uh, I think I believe it. I think what makes me feel better is that I don't think that there's any, um, I don't think there's any timeline where Sydney could have gotten him untied in time to help at all. True. He's so bound to that, and and Mickey has a gun. Like, right. <laughs> there was no good ending to that, so I don't think in any like I don't think there was any way for Derek to save the day, honestly. True. So yeah, so Sid like backs off of of uh you know untying uh Derek, and then I, I guess just to like drill home how much he's like fucking with her head, Mickey went goes ahead and shoots Derek right then and there, right. God, yeah, and it's yeah, it's you don't really. It, this is the first time you see the like the guns used as ghost face anyway, so it's kind of bizarre just to see like uh one and done shoot done no he's dead. Yeah, doing the uh, oh Sid, you got fucking trust issues. You really need to learn. Like he was a good boyfriend. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, and, here's my real partner. And this is like he is shining in this moment. Like his manic acting is amazing. Like the eyes. Like, I think this is, like, you can tell this is, like, the whole reason he got the role. Nothing up to this, like, was any, like, um, like using his acting abilities. This is the scene where he was meant to shine, and he really did. Like, he was a great, to me anyway, he was a perfect mix of Stu and Billy. Like, he had the intensity of Billy with the weird goofiness of Stu. Like, it was just, mm-hmm. like, a bizarre, like, manic episode guy. Yeah. I agree. Uh, the thing about Tim Oliphant that I really like is that he has a lot of range. Uh, <clears throat> you know, in some of these other roles that he's done, he can be like a leading man who's sort of taciturn and uh, and, and like uh, smoldering or whatever. And then he's got the ability in move in a movie like this where like his hair is doing a lot of acting with his <laughs> yeah. weird blowout that he has. 
uh, I don't know anybody from the nineties who had hair quite like that, but it's like, a, <laughs> it's a good, like offset and then or off putting do along with like, yeah, like his, his wide eyes and his like manic movements and like the big laughs and gestures and stuff he has the charisma to pull that stuff off when a lot of guys don't, right? Like he he does come off as the kind of Tarantino edgelord who could be convinced to do some shit like this just for notoriety. Like I, he, yeah. I, I find it unbelievable. He was so good at the end that I didn't care that he wasn't in it or, you, you know. still liked him, right? <laughs> it wasn't, it didn't matter to me at all in when I was in the moment watching the scene that he really wasn't in the movie very much. It was just like, oh yeah, okay, this is good. I, I like, I this. guess to your point, I just believe that he knew to lay low enough to make the reveal actually like worth it because he was a big film guy. He was like, what would make this like an actual good reveal? It would be me just kind of, kind of subtly being a good friend kind of being around and then boom yeah yeah i feel like uh he's the payoff of the first movie's sort of half-hearted attempt to make randy a credible candidate as as one as the killer uh i think he does a good job of paying that off because you're like okay well how does that actually look like well a guy who's not really anybody that's getting noticed (laughs) he's a film fucking dork uh Nobody cares about this guy. He's not like a, you know, a big deal on campus. Uh, he's just a guy who's sort of laboring in the background uh, and kind of setting things up using his like superior knowledge of, of the, the form and uh, then reveling in it later on. Like, I think he nails all those notes. Yeah, very true. But yeah. yes, he does the big, sorry, Paul, but I, no, yeah. no, you're good. Go ahead. Does the, uh, you know, the, okay, yeah, I shot Derek because he wasn't my real partner. Here comes my real partner. And as uh, Kelly pointed out, the person that comes through the door is Gail. And none of us buy it for even one fucking. (laughs) But then behind her is uh, Lori Metcalf, the annoying reporter character. This woman we keep seeing. (laughs) Yes, the, the reporter character who throughout the film has been annoying gail trying to become the next gail who's like this very pathetic figure uh turns out she's the second killer but what's her real identity are you asking are you asking one of us <laughs> mrs loomis yeah i, was I trying love to get... that we both didn't know what he was going <laughs> i'm just trying to get literally anybody other than me to, uh, start narrating and joe we were both there for you it would take, <laughs> me, it would take me an hour to do it because i'll be like well was he there um, <laughs> but I liked I liked this um, I again it didn't matter to me I just felt like I was like I was in for the ride at this point they reveal that this is Bobby's mom and she's back for re- is it Billy's. sorry Billy <laughs> see no, this is uh, no that's it he's Bobby now. we're changing it Bobby Socks Bobby Loomis but little Bobby Loomis see that's a good name um <laughs> I believe that, I don't know. I just had a really good time with this whole se- this whole <laughs> sequence. I was like, hell yeah. Like, it didn't matter that I didn't know these characters at all. And like, I only kind of bought their motives, but I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down. These are amazing performances. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not clear at all how they met or how they orchestrated yeah, this to all yeah. happen. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, Mickey was the, like the... Uh, uh, the person that killed people yeah 
Yeah. And like, who knows how they found each other? This guy in Ohio and Mrs. Loomis from California. They they straight up they straight up said message boards, right? She was Mess- like, yeah, Did they say yeah. message boards? Yeah. Of course. That's the look- obvious answer to everybody. Like Right. And she's like, Yeah, I was looking for a psycho who could actually kill people. And he was a very, you know, precocious candidate. And he's like, what can I say? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was the entire explanation of their hookup was the the dreaded internet. Yeah. How do you think they put that on the message boards? Like seeking yeah. um r slash <laughs> gutting. Must be willing to travel to Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's doing such a big performance in a but not in a campy way. Uh, and I guess probably some people who've seen this movie might be like, "Shut the fuck up!" It's obviously campy. I don't think it is. <laughs> not really. Yes. No. no, either. I think it was okay. just straight up good acting and like yeah. her I'm... eyes are as big as dinner plates. Yeah, everything that she says is like, but of course I had to do that. Because you took my boy away from like, you know, she's like yeah. got this very uh enunciated way of speaking. Like, I don't know. I, I think she's killing it, even though it's kind of a big performance. God, when mm-hmm. uh when Cotton shows up, spoilers, cotton shows up, uh, and it like has her at gunpoint, the way that she is like hiding behind Sydney, but yeah. then sticks and out to the right to be like, but cotton, have you considered like it's <laughs> it's almost comedic what yeah. she's but it's exaggerated in a way that you believe, you know, for the character because it, it conveys just how, like how psychotic she is or whatever. Yeah, I don't I think she's it. ever supposed to be smart. Like I think it's supposed to. She's supposed to be like. I think that the um, it's probably the reality of abandoning her kid and then realizing what happened just kind of like fucked her up and like she just went off on the deep end. But it's very believable that she'd just be like, I did this and now I'm kind of trying to figure it out as I go along. So everything that comes <laughs> up, she's like, yeah, absolutely. And I love that Sid takes that moment when Gail comes in to make fun of her for no reason. She's like, oh yeah, like take off 40 pounds and like, oh yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, she had like a bunch of work done or something. And I'm like, of course she'd have like that quip in the middle when she's about to like, <laughs> she's got two gun people on her and she's like, I'm going to make this weird quip. <laughs> I love it. It is. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, I do like that, uh, you know, when they are, you know, so so Billy's mom, you know, she, Billy Loomis's mom is this annoying reporter character. She, you know, <laughs> reveals all her, um, you know, the backstory where like now that her boy is dead and it's Sydney's fault, she wants revenge. And Sydney points out that she abandoned her boy, but uh, that doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that she found uh, Mickey on a message board and they teamed up and decided they were going to plot out all of these very specific reference kills to the first movie uh, en route to getting the the revenge. Uh, Mickey is convinced that he's going to go to trial and get famous for this uh, novel defense that the movies made me do it. Uh, and he'll become a media star. Uh, but then, of course, Mrs. Loomis shoots him being like a dumb moron. Uh He's served his purpose, and now she's going to kill Gail, and she's going to kill Sydney. Gail gets shot trying to run away. She takes a, a, a gunshot to the side, which not where you want to get hit, but this is also a movie where Dewey has lived how many times, or, or a series. Yeah, where... Dewey should be dead, and Gail should be dead. <laughs> so we can, we can forgive Gail this one. Yeah, And I think that we can... Um, what did you say, Paul? I said she fell down an orchestra pit. She did, oh, which not. we've all been there. I fell down a long time. It's hard to see you. Frazier, it is hard to see you. Uh, Mr. Fraser Crane himself. 
<laughs> I've almost fallen into an orchestra pit. I've definitely almost fallen into an orchestra pit. Yeah, you can't see it. <laughs> anyway. But I think it is like showing how likable um the Mickey character really is. I felt betrayed when he got shot. I was like, are you kidding me? I didn't feel like <laughs> safe because one of the killers is gone. I'm like, he deserved to live. <laughs> Even though I'm like, wait, he's killing everybody. Never mind. Hold yeah, on. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's he's there. We'll talk about them, you know, ranking them in the in terms of the the killers uh, against, you know, from one movie to the next. But um, they make for a really interesting pair. I think it's to the movie's credit that they don't feel to me anyway, contrived or like a stupid outcome, especially knowing now that, as you guys were saying earlier, that like the, the original ending was leaked. And so I assume that my assumption is that Mickey was the change up in terms of who ended up being one of the killers. Um, Y'all can tell me if I'm wrong about that, but. Yeah, it was, it was computer guy switched to Mickey. Oh, okay. That makes total sense. I, computer guy with, <laughs> with his long speech. I should have known. Uh, no, like but. Not even part of the conversation. <laughs> no, but for real, like uh, I, even though there is something about it that feels kind of ad hoc or it feels like a little bit like, Bet you didn't see that one coming, uh, but not totally earned. Like, I don't really care because like the performances are so good. And uh, I think especially Mrs. Loomis's motivation is so good. And also like a, a horror tradition that I, I find the ending to be satisfying. Or the I, reveal. I, the, yeah, the reveal satisfying. And I, I like, um, I like how hard Sid fights like after like, knowing who the two characters are like the hero moment fight like the her line was super smart when uh, so mickey's dead i can't remember if this happens before or after cotton weary gets there but she's fighting mrs loomis and she has that great line where she's like isn't um what's his name now isn't he supposed to be dead or isn't mickey supposed to be dead like she just says that off the cuff and like to like throw her off and she turns around and gets oh yeah that way. Uh, yeah yeah, I she's, think that's before Cotton gets there, right? It is, right? Because uh, uh, Mrs. Loomis has her dead to rights with a gun aimed at her. So right. Sid says, isn't Mickey supposed to be dead? And that's the momentary, like, Mrs. Loomis looks over her shoulder. That's all Sid needs to run through the set door to get to the backstage area uh, where she starts pulling cranks and shit to, like, drop sand oh, back. Stuff. No, yeah. you guys are right? forgetting the the most important part she takes her letters that were given to her by Derek oh. and somehow slashes the gun out of uh, oh yeah <laughs> whatever her name is it's her hands um so i don't know it's just like one motion knocks the gun out of her hand and then then runs to the door that was not well, unlocked before right Paul, establish... uh, Derek said that those letters would protect her, so it had to come That's back true. to something. I just I was impressed with how well she used those as a weapon. And she had uh, that, yeah, yeah. She says that line, and then she does that, which is a pretty badass moment for Sid. Yeah, Chekhov's gun get boned. We have Derek's letters. <laughs> Derek's letters. That's <laughs> such a better name for it. <laughs> Derek's letters finally went off. Uh, but yeah she... it's like the the ending of the plutonium rod it's just derek's letters in the car after they're like we derek's letters did it saves the day <laughs> yeah 
But yeah, then she runs and and goes through that that set door, which I believe she tried several times. Did I miss a scene where they established that she went around or someone went around? No, because somebody came through the door. Yeah, right. Gail uh, and okay, Mrs. Loomis come in through that door. Okay. But yeah, Sid gets back there, starts pulling all the cranks, like I said, and it's it's dropping stuff all over the set. Mrs. Loomis, aka Debbie Salt, isn't. Uh, familiar with with the whole thing so she's like trying to dodge you know the tables have turned the hunter the hunter has become the hunter uh but you know i think uh loomis ends up in a pile of of rubble uh that probably was not actual cement i don't know why that she was defeated by that crumbling wall <laughs> because it was yeah the other part of that styrofoam. Is, yeah like th th it was a part of a school play set and the wall was supposed to come over is this right. a reference to something that happens in that? Because that was such a silly scene where it's like they're all tumbling down and it's like kind of slow motion, I think. And it's like, there's no way she was even remotely hurt. <laughs> like, Well, yeah. guys, once you reach 50 as a woman, you're pretty much just frail and ready to fall. <laughs> I could so. stab a guy in a car 16 <laughs> times, but when it comes to a bunch of styrofoam no, bricks, you're done. Not the styrofoam <laughs> rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, yeah, the screenwriters being like, well, everybody knows once someone becomes menopausal, uh, you're defeated by fruit flies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. rocks fall, everybody dies. <laughs> but yeah, so she's temporarily out of the fight, right? And this is where Cotton comes in, right? And this part, I literally did not remember. Like I, like I knew that, but I remember the killers. Like I keep saying, like. I don't remember this movie as well as the others, but I totally forgot that Cotton shows up at the end. Right. Same. Big same. Like that was like a whole me brand new too. thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even remember. I did actually know who the killer was this time, but I didn't remember anything else. Um, Cotton. Go ahead. Sorry. No one else was talking. Cotton. Well, you were saying <laughs> in the middle of saying about Cotton coming in. I thought you were just going to continue. <laughs> to Paul's credit, uh, assuming I was talking is a pretty good assumption. So, uh, yeah, but Cotton comes in and then he does his Cotton things. He has a standoff. Um, Billy's mom, Billy, not Bobby, uh, grabs <laughs> Sydney and then Cotton uh, is pointing the gun at them. This is why I can't do it because I'm like, does that is it, it's a uh, What's her name for Parks and Rec? Couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, about Billy, so not Bobby. Like, she's like, was Phoebe there? Was Phoebe there? <laughs> yes, Phoebe was yes, there. Yes, Phoebe was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> somebody else take over, please. So Cotton, <laughs> Cotton comes in for his big hero moment, and he's, like, up against uh, Mrs. Loomis, who has Sydney like, by the neck, like, with the gun against her head. And so we're led to believe, because Cotton is, like, um we're led to believe that cotton is like taking um mrs loomis's side but she's like telling him like oh sydney like never like she never respected you she did all this stuff to you like uh wouldn't it be better for you if like you joined my side i forget exactly what she says but it's she's trying to like lean him towards like shooting sydney is what she like seems like he's gonna do and then like they kind of have like that fake back and forth between him and sid where he's like are you going to finally do that interview? And she's like, I'll do it. And then like, <laughs> I love that look on Mrs. Loomis's face after he says that, like, oh shit. Like he's about <laughs> to like get blown up like a cartoon character. What? I did not see that coming. <laughs> That's the big moment though, right? I, I think, I think if I were right, 
uh, <clears throat> Cotton had the gun and he's sort of like kind of going back and forth between Sid and Mrs. Loomis, like, like, you know, like, Hey, I can be bought, you know, by right. one of you. I think Mrs. Loomis has a, a knife to Sid's neck. <clears throat> if I remember correctly. Cause then she was like, she starts doing this weird begging and pleading where she's like, Cotton, you can be one of the heroes here. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, that's we'll, what she's doing. Yeah. We'll set it up and just let me kill her. Cotton. Just let me kill her. Like he's like, she's doing like this very frantic, like begging to allow, you know, have him allow her to kill mm-hmm. Sydney by, you know, slitting her throat or whatever. It's just very funny to me that for somebody who's like so dedicated to the idea that like she really wants to kill Sydney, but she won't do it unless she gets guarantees from Cotton that he's like, okay. Yeah, you're going to back me up on this, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which also, I guess. Sorry, I was just gonna say between I like that between the three of us we got to like the actually what happened in the third like because Paul like started with like a bunch of random stuff and then I added a bunch of other stuff and then you were like okay it's what really happened it felt like the end of crew. This could have happened. This could have happened. This is what really happened. What we did was Rashomon this thing. We had three perspectives that told the entire story. Okay, yeah. every angle. Here's, uh, here's something that impressed me about this movie is that I that was another scene for me. I was really, I knew that obviously Cotton doesn't decide to shoot Sydney. What I was getting nervous about was like someone's gonna come in not know what Cotton's intentions are. Oh, like yeah. Gail's out there. No, we we don't know what we know. Gail's not dead, or we assume Gail's not dead. Like. What if she's like she's gonna kind of pull a first movie and shoot Cotton? Like, That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of there's that moment where it's just like we don't know. I don't know. I was just like, hurry up, like make a decision, <laughs> Cotton. Like you're gonna. It's like something's gonna happen to you if you keep waiting. I don't know. I just thought that was. Well I feel done. like I remember being. I feel like I remember thinking that before when I like didn't know. Like I was seeing the movie for the first time, maybe. I think I do remember that feeling of like, oh no, Cotton's gonna get like framed for this. Um, I don't know if I just didn't feel that just because I like I knew what was gonna happen, but I don't know. I guess we all know that when you fall into an orchestra pit, you have to have a long like <laughs> pity party down there before you get back out. So like it made yeah. sense that Courtney had to stay down there sad. Well, well you know, picture, I was just gonna say real quick. I was just like, I just kept picturing this thing where it's like. Like Cotton gets shot, and he has to quickly be like, oh, "No, I was, I wasn't gonna ever do it. Like I was just waiting for my moment. Like <laughs> trying to convince people with his dying breath. No. He's like, no, wait, so, like, you got it all wrong. Like, but he keeps coming it. back, like the other killers, <laughs> yeah. like for one trying last time. To explain himself. <laughs> that would be so funny. Yeah, if they shot him once. He's like, wait, no, like I wasn't the killer. I was going, and then they like had another conversation. Wait, no, I'm still over <laughs> yeah. here. I'm still in the theater and I know you guys are outside, but I still didn't feel it. I just I really like this perspective where you guys are like, uh, boy, I wish Cotton would hurry up so that he doesn't get hurt. <laughs> my perspective was like, Cotton, what's taking so fucking long? Like, why 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 are you not convinced from the very get-go? Like, you know, I said earlier that like by the time the movie's over, I'm like, I I still don't trust this guy, and I don't particularly root for his good outcome. It's because it it is until you know having the gun pointing it back and forth between Sid and Mrs. Loomis. It's only until he says, you know, hey Sydney, how about that Diane Sawyer uh interview now? 
And then Sid like gives him the look, like there's that nice pause that Nev Campbell yeah. takes, like, consider it done. And after she says that, he shoots Mrs. Loomis uh, with the big oh shit eyes as as Kelly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I was like, hey, Cotton. Hey, bud. Like, uh, <laughs> did you really have to negotiate that shit first? Was that so necessary? And of course, yeah. Especially yeah. for someone who wants to be yeah. a hero so bad. How right. he couldn't just go in and be a hero. He never really gets that moment. I guess we'll we'll visit this more when we get to Scream 3, but he never gets his hero moment, ever. Like, he man, just... Sorry, I just... I have a no, completely fine. different view of Cotton. Like, I've been... I get that he's, like, a crummy guy, but I was rooting for him, and, like, I never felt like he was making a decision. I felt like he was trying to figure out his shot. Because it's a very, yeah. like... I mean, we don't really know what his background is. We don't know how well he does with a gun. This lady's popping in and out behind her. We don't know if she's going to jerk her over real quick. And so like, you, you felt like he wanted her to, to trust him, and then he was going to get a good shot. He was waiting which makes for sense. her to stay in view long enough to yeah. shoot her. And then he does have that line right afterward where he's like, "Hey, Sid, you know I would never like hurt you." Like he, that's he, true. Yeah. He says, like, I'm trying to, you know, more more or less saying like, I was just trying to set up a good opportunity. I think the movie does a good enough job of walking that line where it leaves a little bit of doubt, but still, like, errs on the side of, like, Cotton did a good thing, right? Yeah. So you feel good about him finally getting a moment at the end of the movie where all the reporters are swarming him and he says, like, you know, there's a time and a price for this story. Uh, so he's finally going to get his payday. You can feel good about that. Um, I just think that the totality of the character like still leaves like a little bit of question about like how pure his motives are. That's all. I, I, I guess. Yeah. I, it's interesting that, that I just, the whole time. And I get my whole thing at the end where he was, he said that I'm like, yeah, you get yours cotton. Like, yeah. You, yeah. Like that's how I felt. It was just like, yeah, like don't like there, obviously people are trying to sensationalize this a little bit and you're just like, getting what you feel like after spending a year as an innocent person in in prison like maybe you just feel like i don't know i guess well, like, not that i agree well, go ahead kelly i was just gonna ask have you ever seen scream 3 this is that that would be the first time you see scream 3 well no because i have very i i would could not tell you a single thing except for i know that it's on the set of the new movie and there okay. is a scene in somebody in a trailer that gets killed. And literally, that's it. I couldn't tell you a single other thing that happens in that movie. Because I'm just wondering, I was like, I don't know if I would feel, because I know that the first time I was seeing the movie, I had similar reactions to what you were with the other scene. So I was like, I wonder if I had never seen Scream 3 or didn't know what happened in the rest of the series, mm. if I would be feeling the same way as you. Not that anything mm. really drastic happens with that. I, I I'm not like I'm not spoiling anything or saying anything specifically. I just you just get more cotton. I'm just like you just get so much more cotton that like it's not forgivable anymore. What he does in Scream Two, and he doesn't even do anything bad. But I I feel like I'm a like acts like alluding to something, but I'm not. It's just like is it just because we know more story of him that we hmm. don't feel that way? I don't know. I I think that. I I don't know. I could be wrong about this. I don't re remember a whole lot about Scream Three, and obviously, I had I had to be reminded a lot about Scream Two as I watched it. Um, and I've seen the first Scream a billion times and have it memorized. So maybe, like you're saying, <laughs> Kelly, like I I've, I've just got my brain programmed a certain way. 
I do feel like the movie is trying to convey a certain thing about Cotton, which is that, again, him being caught up with Sydney's mom in the first place, like not really like the biggest uh, pro Cotton, you know, character, uh, uh, you know, component. And then, you know, earlier in this movie, like getting putting his hands on Sydney, right? Like he's not mm. he's not without uh, blemish, this guy. And you get the sense that even if it is understandable that he would be like under, you know, really a lot of stress and desirous of like, you know, having his name cleared in a way that also gives him, you know, gets him some money. Um, I feel like he is kind of like Gale ish in, in the way his he's associated with Gale where it's like, okay, yeah, here's a guy who had a misfortune, but he's not pure as a driven snow. He wants, mm. he wants his money. He wants his fame. He wants his notoriety. And he wants some goddamn, uh, you know, uh, appreciation from Sydney after all she did to him. Um, to me, I think this movie does a really good job of playing off of that. And I think Paul rea Paul's reaction shows, like, you can interpret it in a bunch of different, like, really plausible ways that makes the character fun and complicated. I, I love the fact that he shows up at the end of this movie. I, like I do too. And I love that it's, like, I keep forgetting it. Like, it's yeah. just funny that, like... It's forgettable, but a big moment. Go ahead, Paul. I cut you off. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I like how we're presented with a lot of characters that we're asked to sympathize with that we are also told aren't the best people. Like, yeah. I really appreciate that. I'm glad that they, they leaned into it as much as they did. And I think it just makes it, these movies, that much stronger. Um, it's just having that element. And like, that we come off of completely different reactions to the same person just because of what we're told about them, how they act. Like it's, that's interesting. And I just, yeah, I like that about these movies a lot. I do too. I, I also want to say that, um, cause I don't think we've talked about it specifically, but Liev Schreiber in this role is really good. Like he yeah. does, he does such a good job of being a feckless dweeb when the moment calls for it, like him, like being like, Gail, you told me that we would have a sit down. Like he's just, yeah. very, he's like fussy in a way that like Fraser Crane is. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. He does have parallels to Fraser. Yeah. But also is like intimidating enough that he is credibly like a physical threat uh, numerous times, you know, multiple times at least throughout this movie. I mean, also in like other roles he's done, right? Like, at one point, he played uh, Sabretooth in the yeah. X-Men family of movies. Yeah. And that's like a character who's like supposed to be like this big hulking, uh, you know, danger to Wolverine, this like five foot eight Canadian, uh, you know, uh, little uh, Tasmanian devil type guy. Um, but like Schreiber has the gravitas and the ability and also the comedic timing to pull all of those things off, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I saw him in another movie, which I completely forget what the name of it is. It has Parker Posey in it, and he's kind of a similar character to this. Called um, it Scream 3. Scream 3. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does it have Parker Posey? Uh, it does have Parker Posey. That's funny. What movie are you thinking of, though? I don't know I what don't, the other No, movie no, it's not about. a horror movie. It's a very slice of life driving around with the family. I believe he's dating. Is he dating Parker Posey? Is he? Is Phoebe? I don't know what Phoebe movie you're talking was about. Phoebe <laughs> again. I'm just half describing a movie I saw once. But it was really good in that 
roll. And he reminded me of this. And I just like, it's like Sabretooth was literally the first time I had ever seen him. So every time I see him now, I'm like, that's Sabretooth. Like, I, <laughs> like that's okay. Just so he's Sabretooth in the Hugh Jackman ones. Yeah. One of, one okay. of them. Yeah, but I think okay. too. I think he's in the first and second one. Or did he die in the first movie? Uh, so the very the very first time Saber. Sorry, this is going to be a very nerdy conversation. Uh, the very first time Sabretooth shows up in the X Men movies is in the very first X Men movie, and he's played by like a, a professional wrestler, uh, Tyler something or other. I can't remember his last name. He Liev doesn't show up as Sabretooth until like one of the solo Wolverine movies. No, and, no that's why. I no, 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 no. He he's in. He's in the first one, or at least he's. I know he is, because that's how I I, I, I I haven't seen. Oh no, was he in the Deadpool one? Not the Deadpool movie, but was he in the Wolverine that had Deadpool in it? I think that's it. Yeah, ah, damn it. Okay, here I was all all wrong about remembering him from the X Men movies, but I do remember him, just not from the one I thought I did. Okay, that makes sense why I don't remember him. <laughs> the point being that uh, he does a he's a great actor. Everybody in this movie is a freaking great actor. Like they all have really good performances, but he does a really good job to the point where I'm just like, he's that guy. Like I'm not really paying attention to him as an actor. I'm like, he's he's doing a really good job, specifically being what he needs to be in that role, which is just the guy who's kind of comes off as sleazy. There's something about him, you know. There's something yes. about him that you just don't trust, but at the same time, he's not like really telling you that and it's like all the you know it's just like well but maybe he's being sincere but i don't know like he just seems like he he does such a good job walking that line that in in this one and in the first well he's not really in the first one is he um but what well, you see him though like he yeah. you know he's hot and weary and like i don't know maybe i'm uh ascribing too much um value or or significance to that because we know who lee f schreiber is now but like I remember him popping even in the, the few scenes that Cotton had in that first movie. That's the thing. I remember him. Like, I don't, he's not I, in it very much, but I remember him. And like, yeah, he, obviously he's, he's got a much bigger part in this one, but yeah, I just think he, he does a really good job being that character. And I totally agree. Star Star. Yeah. That's who I always think that I get them confused. Like I know who they both are, but I get them confused with each other's roles. Who? Peter Sarsgaard and uh, Lee Shriver. Okay, I always yeah. I um, yeah, I, I enjoyed Liev so much, and and also like the first screencast so much that like I mentioned this I think on the last podcast I went and saw Phantoms uh, that came out shortly after Scream One, and that had Ben Affleck in it in the lead role, and also had Peter O'Toole. But on top of that, it had Liev Shriver, it had Rose McGowan, uh, and I was like. I have to see that movie. Like, there's just yeah. no, it's about it. It's got those two in it. He's also really good in that movie. It's not a good movie, but he's good in it. Right. And so, yeah, that was my big anecdote. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I, I don't know what, what I was expecting to happen after that. Well, if one, if one person sees Phantoms just because I said that, it will literally cripple. <laughs> The number of people who have seen phantoms so uh, work that math out but it rocks it does rock are you saying we should all go watch it just from like if if you want to see like a movie that has like kind of like thriller uh horror sci-fi like it, it doesn't make sense uh and it doesn't have to necessarily when you have again the wattage 
of Ben Affleck, Peter O'Toole, Leah Schreiber, Rose McGowan, and so forth. I think Nikki Cat is also in that movie. Whatever. Like, the cast is just, it's fun to watch them uh, run around in that crazy bullshit. Yeah, I'd watch that. Yeah. You got one watcher. <laughs> I'm the one. I was convinced. <laughs> I probably won't watch it, but that's fine. You weren't expecting me to. <laughs> I got you to watch Con Air, but I can't get you to watch Phantoms. <laughs> that's true. That is true. Well, yeah. So, uh, so the, the movie ends up with you know Sid lives. Gail uh, reveals herself to out of the you know her sulking in the uh, orchestra pit uh, allowed her to live, and <laughs> uh, and Cotton's gonna get finally his big payday to tell his story about this uh, crazy story that you know he's the hero of uh now uh and then you know that's the movie just kind of ends on a helicopter shot of pulling out away from the university and sydney walking out of the theater uh classroom in broad daylight wearing a jean jacket uh just so, like jurassic park just like jurassic park <laughs> with that there's the horrible, raptor scene i'm sorry yes. if i offended anyone with this comment but that freaking less than jake i think i love you cover i hate it so much i hate the scar <laughs> so bad I didn't even notice it. Wow. You didn't notice it. It hit my, my face <laughs> so hard. My very first note that I wrote down was like, what the fuck is this intro song? The <laughs> the uh the the soundtrack on this is terrible. Like it's straight up not good. Um I sang the praises last time of uh Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds because it's used to really good effect like a couple of times. They use it, I want to say, like four times in this movie. Yes. Almost like as a fuck you, I think. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's never in a really good, like uh, impactful situation. It's more just like, remember how much you like this? Well, guess yeah. what? Get a lot this, of it. That song's in every Scream movie, right? At least once. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, yeah. So they, yeah, they went. Doubled the usage from the first one in this one. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't notice it. that they used more. Like I, the only time I noticed it was when they were walking into the theater. It played. Other than that, I think I don't think I noticed when it played. It stuck out to me as like I. I just like I was like why? I feel like I've already heard this in this movie. I didn't. I didn't know any connection to it and Scream, but like they definitely played it multiple times. Yeah. The only like, reason I know that is because it was in it's in the newest scream in like a very like loud place. So like I was like, oh, that's from the first movie. And then I looked it up and it, it said it's in every single scream. Oh, that makes sense. Well, I you know, like I said, I love the song and I'm I'm really happy for Nick Cave to get that sort of exposure. Not that he needs it, he's a fucking legend, but whatever. Uh he's one of our big listeners, so you're right to say it. <laughs> uh can any of us talk in an australian accent to to thank nick cave for his listenership um, did you not hear our accent episode of course we can <laughs> uh think thanks <laughs> for your listenership uh anyway uh that, that, that sounded very McCartney new zealand or, uh, <laughs> But yeah, it, 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 to me, this one, it just felt like sarcastic this time around. It's like, how many times are you going to do this now? Um, but yeah, the intro song, the outro song, like they're all bad. Uh, it's a real departure, I think, from the first movie that I thought did a good job uh, putting together a, a good soundtrack. Did, did Are you guys aware of Scream 2 as being like, 
you know, a big deal soundtrack like we were talking about last time, like, you know, Batman Returns or... Oh, no. No, was it? No, I don't think it was, right? Oh, okay. I I thought you were saying it was. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it was just, like, objectively bad. Yeah. There's a couple songs I think are okay. I like that Blues Explosion. What's the cover they do? There's some cover that they do in here. And I just like that song. Um, There's a... Is it the Everclear song? Is that the opening one? Oh, is that Everclear? That would make a lot of sense because I'm mad at them from being from here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's there's a couple like they're yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I don't think there's much to say. But I I like that blues exposure. I think that's probably the one. But I cannot stand that. <clears throat> yeah, that less than Jake. Uh, I never liked them anyway. They annoy me. Um, this whole ska, the summer of ska. Um, I, I still have scars from that from marching band yeah i think that's when we realized it was lame because there was like that one year where ska was okay yeah yeah and so like i i listened to real big fish i think you did too well you definitely did too um and then i think yeah yeah you did i didn't know took us all it took us all this summer of ska But I do remember Marching Band ruining Ska for me because I was like, oh, no, I hate all these people that like all these songs, so <laughs> yeah. I have to change my ways. Um, I, I was really doing my damnedest to try to, like, uh, have less of a runtime this time around, but I I did pull up the track listing of the Scream 2 soundtrack. Can I read it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, track one, Scream by Master P. That oh. I think we have to give that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the grandfather being like, oh, that's pretty cool, Master P. It's very 90s. But here's track two. This is the classic, uh, you know, track one hooks them. Track two is where you knock it out of the park. Track two is Suburban Life by Cottonmouth King. Yeah, I remember (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. So that's that's kind of the whole Uh. here to me. So yeah, track three is Rivers by Sugar Ray. Track four... (laughs) is she's always in my hair by d'angelo all right d'angelo is a, a good inclusion dave matthews band track five is help myself uh <laughs> collective soul in track six with she said uh boy if this isn't the last days of collective souls contributions we're getting close it, it has to be at the end right uh john spencer's blues explosion uh excuse me john spencer blues explosion comes in with right place wrong time in track That's seven it. That's a good one. That's what you're talking about. Yeah. That's a good one. Foo Fighters at track eight with Dear Lover. I will say, I don't hate that track. I do think that's a pretty, like, good deep cut from the Foo Fighters. It kind of reminds me of another track I think I like more. Um, But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, here comes Tonic with Eyes of Sand. I only know Tonic for one song. So this, uh, if you could only see, is Tonic's big one. You can only see. <laughs> Paul, I was hoping you would do that. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, track 10, Ever Clears the Swing, as we discussed. That one's okay. It's okay. It's yeah. Very I, I, Foo Fighters. Like, it's incredibly Foo Fighters, I think, is why it's like palatable at all. But, like, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They're similar in a lot of ways. I uh, I like Foo Fighters more because I feel like as arena rock goes, they they have a bit more variation than Everclear has, but they're both like perfectly fine. Yeah, I, 
I just made this specific song is very Foo Fighters. Okay. Think, yeah. No, I don't like Everclear is not. I they're a tier below at least, but like the okay. this this song, the reason it this song is okay is because it's very Foo Fighters. I got you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, track eleven is less than Jake's cover. I think I love you. Uh, it hurts no my good. brain. What? Oh, I can't believe I didn't. So when did it play? It's like I in the very the end it's the goes yeah, into the credits, credits. Yeah. yeah okay paramount plus stopped the movie so that's probably why. Um, they did okay. you a favor yeah i don't like the noises you guys made but it stopped. <laughs> there's only a few tracks left here uh number 11 is or sorry number 11 was i think i love you number 12 is your lucky day in hell by the eels i will say yeah. i like okay. the eels yeah i like the eels quite a bit um novocaine for the soul is uh, a pretty damn good track. They've done some good work. Um, so I'm glad they're here. 13 is Red Right Hand by Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds, discussed already. Number 14, One More Chance by Kelly. Kelly, well done. Hey, thank nice you. Job. You did a good job on this. Uh, I, I guess the only Eels song I know, I guess I only know them from Scrubs. They have that fresh feeling song. That's the only song I know, but I do like it. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't even know that they were on Scrubs. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I had the Scrubs soundtrack, and it was very important. We all... Oh, no, we didn't. Someone <laughs> had it. We caught I it. had it. <laughs> yeah, they have... Uh, Nova Came for the Soul was the one that I first knew them from. That was like the mid-90s. And then they had a song called Fresh Blood from the late aughts, which is actually like pretty cool, kind of haunting. I don't know. Mm. Uh, they're, they're an interesting band. So they have um, fresh blood and fresh feeling. Two freshes. That's right. No, different band. Oh, okay. Then <laughs> ignore me and keep talking. But yeah, the last track is the riff <laughs> by Ear 2000. Uh, what the? F I've never even heard of Ear 2000. Literally E A R 2000. I would love if that was my favorite band and I had That's so much to say. <laughs> I've seen them live four times. <laughs> Anyway, Far Cry, I think, from the quality of the first one, but uh, it was yeah, interesting. Yeah, definitely. Got yeah. some okay stuff on there. It, it's not great, though. Um, yeah. It seemed, uh, based on, I guess, like, I feel like this was just, like, a bad year for, like, clothes and music and just, I uh, movies seemed okay, but clothes and music, I think it was just a bad time. We're, yeah, they're kind of, there's a transition. This was a transition period. Yeah, late nineties into the early aughts, and just not a good one. The early aughts, it was some dark times. I can't imagine anybody rolling back. I, I'll maybe I'll change my mind about it, but there's like, could you see people like coming, going back to the early aughts <laughs> and be like, I like that style, I like that music. Like, is there anything good about it? I don't know. And it's funny too, because like I, we're all kind of in, in different stages here, but like I would have been going from elementary school to middle school. So it's like, that's like a big transition. So like that's when I'm changing like all that stuff too. So I'm like, is that just why I feel that way? Because you yeah. would have been going from like middle school to high school. Yeah, I was in high school for the majority of this. This should be my formative years. <laughs> and I just, it, like, and I, it was it's ruined. All bad. It's all bad. <laughs> I hate the music. It's the time. reason. I hate the music I liked at that time. I, so I, Go ahead, Kelly. I didn't have anything. I was just going to agree with Paul. The TV was bad. What was good? <laughs> well, Scream 2 was 97. And I it, the way that I 
feel about things. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, new metal earlier. Uh, I feel like the late 90s were particularly bad in a way that um, they started making up for in the very early aughts. I'm not saying the very early aughts were good, but um, in terms of like music, you had like the post-punk revival, right? Where like Interpol and like all those New York bands, like the Strokes, uh, then you had like the White Stripes. Like at least there was like this restoration of guitar-driven rhythmic rock that I thought was pretty good. Even like the hives, you know, were like relatively yeah. pretty good. Like I liked all, all, all those bands. I liked all yeah. those bands. And, but then I just feel like, I don't know. They just leave a bad taste in my mouth now. Like I still like the white stripes a lot. Um, but like the rest of them, I don't know. Even the strokes. I know the strokes are, are good, but like, I just can't. Maybe I think a lot. Of, yeah. yeah. I, I think a lot of them burned out. Fat. obviously the white stripes didn't but like you know the strokes only really had like one or two records in them before they kind of you know faded a bit i know they played for bernie uh a few years back and thank hey i love you boys but uh you know the music isn't up to the same quality yeah. as the first release uh yeah guess what yeah, jack I, white played for bernie and he's still putting good music out you jerks you go. You jerks. that's right yeah but yeah, no, I, I just I, I do think of like so many records from that time period, probably just because like, you know, again, high school uh, or whatever, like it just meant more to me. But like at the drive in put out their one record back then relationship of command, which was like it's insanely good to me. Queens of the Stone Age was still doing like yeah. really good, fast paced work shit. Like I'll be the first to admit Foo Fighters like turned into like dad rock fairly quickly uh but like i still think that their first four or five records which would be this time period you know this is like when they came out with uh all my life was like a oh, big thing yeah. yeah like they were still doing like relatively like harder punkier type singles uh from their records like i don't know i i think it was a fun time for rock and roll but rock i just said rock and roll <laughs> it's a fun time for rock and roll <laughs> fucking chubby checker over here uh <laughs> we should take no, I, that I, out as the sound clip <laughs> uh, it was I, a fun time for rock and roll joe <laughs> kroll says have you heard this corking new single uh yeah no but i do think that like rock was on uh, uh it was getting better than it had been in the late 90s sure. yeah. a taproot no, I, whatever I'm, I'm gonna say some band names or whatever like where people are gonna get upset because like well, hey what's wrong with you know i enjoy lit like okay man cool like i just i like some other stuff a little bit better that i thought was more represented rap was also interesting because we went from like the cash money like sort you know style from the late 90s into more of like a it was like 50 cent or whatever like came out like kind of in the early aughts and like yeah was doing it. I don't know. It, music was interesting. Uh, I thought it was like on the upswing. Maybe I'm not ready to look back. I'm not ready to look <laughs> at myself at that time. Face myself. Music was interesting and rock and roll was popping. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not hey, at least they said rap was good. All right. <laughs> yeah, we're not we're not out here to to <laughs> to crap on any of you early aughts. Now that the freaking sequel the freaking prequels for star wars are coming around people are pretending they like those movies oh, we can't do that we, we can't, can't allow do it to that we, can't do all, we were right we were right <laughs> we we're all right need to go back there's yeah. literally one good scene it's the it's the lightsaber fight in the first one yeah 
Darth Maul. The pod race was and the pod cool. race. It was pretty cool. Those other two movies are tr- they're just garbage. <laughs> First movie's garbage, except for that, yo. Oh yeah, that so, one's garbage, uh, but I was a child, so I'll excuse it. But plus we had a lot going, like we had to, we collected <laughs> a lot of things. We were ready for that We were movie. so ready, and nobody thought it was good. I even me as a sixth grader saw that movie. I was like, this is a bad movie. Yeah. Like we all knew. Like, let's not if, go back. We were if you right. can't fool a sixth grader and a third grader, then you've really fucked you up. You screwed up, my friends. I I drew a picture of a friend of mine and I as Jedi taking out fucking robots in anticipation <laughs> of episode <laughs> one and shared it with him. He still sees <laughs> me sometimes to make fun. Of That's how excited I mean. We'll put it. If you put it in the show notes, I'm quitting. <laughs> <It's cool. laughs> but that was how excited I was for that first movie. And we both saw it and we were like, well, that just, that sucked. That was awful. Yeah. Nobody, like <laughs> nobody saw that was like, okay. Like, yeah. it, I mean, I had all the pod racing Legos. I was a pod racing fiend. I still am. I love pod racing. Yeah. I, I think- like the game. I, I get corrected on what it's on. Cause I remember it as a different system. What's it on? The pod I played racing it on game? 64. Okay, I always think it's GameCube. No, I think they but had what there was a GameCube version, but it wasn't going to be okay. good. The first one's good. This but is it was just a fun completely... video game too. Yeah. Yeah. So who wants to rank Ghost Faces? <laughs> oh, here we go. So we've got four of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, so now uh, we have Mrs. Loomis, Mickey, um, Billy, and Stu are our four. Would it be more fun to do it as like per movie, like as teams or individually as ghost faces? I think individually. Okay. I'm going to do that. I mean, a lot of this is going to be from, because we don't know. I guess we do know that that the first pair, um, it was the same thing. Billy killed everyone except for one person. And then same. I guess I'm thinking of just personality and motive. Okay. Okay. actual kills charisma yeah yeah wow okay i still i don't know i i think that i might put it's hard for me to choose between Stu and mickey but i think Stu still is my favorite so far so i would say Stu, mickey billy mrs loomis for me okay yeah i would do um billy mrs loomis Stu, and then mickey um and my 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 reasoning for that is I think that the motivations for Billy and his mom are the strongest. Uh, And also I think that um, I really, I like the pairing in this movie, you know, Scream 2. I like Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. I think Mrs. Loomis's reveal is so powerful. And like, and like you, you've seen Laurie Metcalf so much. You're like, Oh, it's aunt Becky from Roseanne. Like Mm -hmm. I love her. Ha 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 ha. You've seen her like in eight different scenes at this point, and she finally shows up at the killer, and you're like, a fucking course. How how did I not think that? It became a surprise to me anyway. Yeah. Um, and to me, I mean, made... go ahead, Kelly. It, it is cool how often they show her throughout the movie. So in the back of your mind, you should realize she's important, but you don't really just because of how Gail dismisses her. Yeah. But in in movie sense, you're like, oh yeah, why would they show her that much? Because there's no other reason to. Right. She's such a drip. Like yeah. she's so low status throughout the movie 
that you're like, oh man, like, uh, you know, you, you, she never, it could never crosses your mind that she can even be capable of anything like that. Yeah. And to me, it makes up for Mickey being a relatively low um, substance, I guess, you know, like, again, his motivations are sort of meta, like he's like, oh, the media made me do it, um, which doesn't make it bad. It's just sort of like, you don't see a whole lot of him and he's a surprise. But to me, like the biggest strength of of Mickey is that he's played by Tim Olyphant. Like that to me is like his greatest true. selling point. That is um, true. I think yeah. it's funny that I I gave the parameters of this and then I just went by how much I liked him no matter what. <laughs> and then I was like, no, it's by motive. And then I was like, these, is, like, these are the people I like. <laughs> I, I like how you just listed them. They're like, how about you guys? Like, <laughs> to fill, fill us in yeah, go, yeah, feel free to. <laughs> Throughout no, your... no, no. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't even listen to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing that I will say about my ranking that I totally can see, I don't think Billy should be anyone's number one, um, except if you're me, where you're like, oh, yeah, like Skeet Ulrich, like he was a big deal and like the movie did a good job selling him. <sighs> like what a great misdirection he was. Like, I don't know. I just thought he was like one of the better crafted backstories and then like uh you know delivering on the premise of like this boyfriend who you thought like was so obvious that it couldn't possibly be him but they still right. pulled it off or you're like oh it's a good a good reveal uh and his weird simmering intensity i think works a lot for that line where he's like your h slur b slur of a mother <laughs> like ruined my family you're like oh this guy sucks and of course he would like look at it that way right uh, but who could suspect such a dream boat a <laughs> butt. Yeah, troubled bubble butt dream boat though uh, yeah no i love Stu. i think Stu is uh, a great character i don't think he's like a particularly fearsome ghost face in these particular rankings i rank him ahead of mickey because i think uh i i do he's got more charisma you know it, for their two motivations they're very similar right like mickey's doing like the media made me do it and for Stu, it's just like yeah baby let's do some crazy yeah. well that, i just like Stu. i think that he was the most exciting to figure out because like i trusted Stu throughout yeah, scream sure. so i think that he was the most shocking and then i think mickey was also shocking to me so i think in my head i'm just thinking like oh i had no idea it was them kind of deal mrs loomis kind of has the past because like I had no idea it was her, but I also had, I didn't have that on the horizon at all. So it wasn't like I was just like expecting something from that. I don't know. I do now that Paul, that you said earlier that there was like a, a film, like a, a original script with different, I think that it might've been her roommate originally. That was one of the killers. Oh. If I remember reading that, like one of the wikis, um, I didn't read it prior to this recording, so I don't remember, remember. But I kind of want to say that she was one of the original killers. That would have been good. Because yeah. she you saw a lot of her and she also like didn't really let on too, too strongly. Like she, she mm -hmm. would have, I think. Her and, and Mrs. Like, especially. Like the two, like two women. Yeah. That would have been yeah. That would have been like the new 2000 thing to do. Two women. <laughs> everyone everyone has a black friend and women are killers. Like that's the <laughs> We did it, folks. They're doing <laughs> it for themselves now. Yeah, I've heard. All right, Paul, what's your ranking? Oh, man, I don't know. I, I don't feel uh, qualified. No, I just, 
my here's what I'm gonna say, and I feel like um this might be controversial within the scream community, but I I thought the ending to the second one was way better than the ending to the first one. And okay. not like as far as like how it all wrapped up. I just thought they did such a good job with the performances and I was so mm -hmm. intrigued and it was it was tense and it's like not, no, nothing that had happened in the rest of the movie mattered. Like I was just so into what was going on that I didn't care. Um, you know, I That's didn't true. really care how everything played out or the fact that uh, Mickey didn't really have a huge role. Whatever it was, I was just like, I'm buying this. This is great. I'm I'm just I'm ready for whatever's going to happen. Um, all that being said, like I don't know. I guess, like I don't want to. I don't know. I don't know how I would rank them. Go with uh, your heart. Come on, man. Like you know, you know who you find the coolest, right? Yeah. Yeah. Either I just... listen or don't listen. We we've got two examples for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the these two these two colors from two, and then the uh, the reason the. Billy and uh, and Stu, I just didn't. I thought that whole ending was kind of clumsy, right? Like I was like, I liked it. I liked the reveal. I thought it all made sense, but I just thought like the all the gun stuff was a little clumsy. All like you know, I thought Stu was a little too manic at the end, like to the point where I'm just like, okay, calm down. Like it just like it felt like they didn't quite know how to stick the landing. It, it got a little cluttered with Gail jumping in, getting knocked out. And then the dad coming, it's like, what's going on with the dad? Why is the dad just gone? Um, right. Like there was, there's just like, I just felt like it wasn't as clean as I was, I would want. And that makes sense one. as you like coming back. Cause like, I feel like for me, it's a lot of nostalgia and how much I loved it as a kid that every time I rewatch it, I'm like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. So if I had only seen it recently, like you had, and then rewatched it recently, I don't know if I'd still have the same connection to like thinking that was as amazing as it, as it is. Yeah. And yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's just some, like how I watched it or like, maybe if I rewatched it now, kind of watching this and, and seeing like how it all ties in, it would be different. I don't right. know. So this is just coming off of like, and I do like change my opinion completely often with these things so mm -hmm. um it's not anything i feel like it's just like from these two viewings from it being i know i've seen scream one a couple more times but scream two this is my second viewing i know that and it's been a while between so it's like also i'm just coming off of coming back to it again and not really coming at it with the same fan appreciation as as the both of you i just think like I had so much fun with this at the end and like, I just, I was like ready for anything to happen. I loved how it played out. I probably put uh, Mrs. Loomis as number one. I just love that performance yeah. so much. And, like every part of it. And that standout at the end was so cool. And like her being the one, was she the one that came back? They're like, they always come back. Uh, it was Mickey, right? Well, Mickey came back, but you were thinking right. it was going to be her. And then yeah, they shot her in the forehead. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, like no, like she's, she she's like she's like a, a a echo right of like uh, Mrs. Voorhees right. Yes, right. yeah, yeah. Which is obviously yeah. People people love Mrs. Voorhees as like the greatest killer of that franchise, or at least like you know one of the top of the pops as far as they're concerned, right? Like, 
for that same reason, I, I think there's sort of like a badass quality to her and Mrs. Voorhees that, that you have to kind of respect. Yeah. And it's just like, what a, what a performance. And it just like for both of the, like for both of these killers to come in and just like, it doesn't matter. Like they got the exact right actors to be like, Hey, listen, like this, this plot's a little thin. Like we've had to rework it. We need two people who can just kind of sell the fact that we had to change the ending, you know, just do your thing. And like, absolutely nailed it. And I'm not going to say save the movie. Cause I think this is a, a great movie despite all of its, you know, there are a lot of things that I think they did weaker, definitely compared to the first film, but the ending, I just was like, yes. <laughs> the, yeah. The it. ending of this movie was incredible. Like it, it really forgives anything that happens throughout the entire film. Yeah. It's just like, this is just like the, one of the, one of the greater ending endings of like a whodunit movie. Like, I you know, they, Sorry, go ahead, Paul. I was, real quick, I was just going to say, like, I could see myself, instead of rewatching this movie, just like, I'm going to go to YouTube and, like, the ending of Scream 2 and just watch that. <laughs> like, like, I you used know, to watch, yeah. This movie uh, delivers on some stuff that was not delivered on that Randy said in the first movie. Yeah. Uh, we already talked uh, about one other example, but this is the example of when Stu is, like, playing with his ear and he's like, what would your motivation be? And Randy says, it's the millennium. Motivations are incidental. Like, again, this movie delivers on that premise, just like yep. it delivers on the premise of Ran a Randy type being one of the killers, uh, which is fun. Like, it, it's like, you know, levels to this thing. Beautiful. Yeah, I just, I, I, I loved it. So, yeah, I just, for that reason, I, I'm just picturing, like, we know who they are now, like, having nothing to do with when they're actually wearing the mask. Like, I would probably do uh, Loomis, Mickey, and then Billy. I, I And I like Billy and Stu a lot, but just I would have them at, you know, three and four, some some version. I don't, I don't know. You don't have a strong lean about Billy versus Stu? Not really. I actually, I, I don't know. Kelly's dying over here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess a Billy would be three. Um, wow. Just I know I just with Stu with the again it's just I like, just I like Stu a lot I don't love yeah. Stu so much it makes the betrayal that much worse <laughs> it hurts it's yeah. just you all know and you're just like <laughs> twisting the knife I'm sorry I just yeah uh, that's how I feel everyone should agree with me on everything <laughs> hey I put Mickey last not Stu so there <laughs> that's true thank you yeah um there you go. I don't feel great about it. Again, I can see myself <laughs> uh, changing my opinion with my next screen. I'm super interested with the, the next screen, how this is going to, especially yeah. with you, who's who you're going to move. I'm already wishing I had said Mrs. Loomis first and Billy second. So I guess we'll just see what happens when a screen <laughs> comes around. I'm 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 excited. I'm getting more excited for these every time. I'm like, yeah, I know, I love the screams. I'm let's excited. Go. By let's the time we get one. to scream the newest one, it'll probably be out on uh, streaming. We're probably gonna get these like just in time. Yeah, I I'm I'm excited especially for this next one because I think having nothing to do with this podcast, having nothing to do with the friends that we're all talking to right now. Uh, I think it's probably the consensus least appreciated. Oh, okay. I think. No, I, I, yeah. I'm going to throw out the most recent screen because I, I haven't seen it and I don't know enough about it to, to know the 
you know, the fan regard for it. But I feel like Scream 3 is the least uh, respected. People really? hate it. Yeah, I love it. I think it's great. But it's also one of the first, because I didn't watch a lot of horror movies at this time. Like, I, I didn't watch them until, like, high school when me and Meg, like, started watching horror movies. So, like, when, at this point, I was just pretty much just Indiana Jones was, like, in the Temple of Doom was probably the scariest thing I'd seen. And so when I watched this, it was kind of like, oh, this is like a supernatural. But we can get into that when we get into Scream 3. But like, that's why I loved it. It felt scarier to me than like the other two. And it mm. just felt like I was watching like an actual scary movie. That's what I'm saying. I, I feel like oh, this wow. next could be the most controversial or at least like have, have the most like varied uh, impressions from, from all three of us or four of us if we get, uh, you know, Kelator on here. Yeah. Um she was Would, too busy playing Stardew Valley for this one. I guess final question, if we're ready to wrap up, is would I mean none of us are going to put this above the first one? Am I right? Like it's one. I two. thought Paul, you might. Well, I don't see. I think as a as a whole product, I don't think don't I don't care would. about our feelings. We don't. Care. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> caring about your feelings ever. Like I never have. I never will. But like I was just, I'm thinking in my head. I'm not like I'm not trying to like you know play it safe for like say the popular answer i would not put the second one above it just because there's so much of it i'm like that didn't really work i wish we right. would have seen the killers more you know like mm -hmm. i just think the first one is just a better constructed movie like even with the how i feel about the endings i'd still put it one and two Same. still scream one scream two for me yeah scream one scream two i i think for me the sincerity of the first one is going to carry it really far. Uh, we talked about the heightening in this one a little bit earlier on in the conversation, but like this, to me, this movie from start to finish does feel like sort of an eyebrow tip being like, isn't this fucked up? Like, did you yeah. see that? <laughs> isn't it crazy that we did this? And I'm, I'm totally cool with it. I like that. And the series like takes that and runs with it in the movies that come after this. But the first one just has this earnestness of being like, it's a slasher movie. Right. Also, there are teens in it, and we're going to do our goddamnedest to make you care about them as characters. And isn't that kind of cool? I mean, like, yeah, it is. Yeah. Kelly, anything to add? Nope, I think, think I'm wrapped up. We've wrapped up. <laughs> Much quicker than that's, usual. That's yeah. rock and roll. That's still like three hours. <laughs> I know. I'll just sit here in silence. Rock and roll is still nice music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Bye, Bye all.